Hello, 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 ladies and gentlemen. Good evening, good evening, good evening. Welcome to another edition of the C Report. I'm your host, Mr. C, also known as Michael Aaron Cassidis, whichever one you prefer to go by. All my friends call me Mr. C. Uh, but uh, we are coming to you live today on this uh, Thursday, Thursday, March 24th, 2022. Live, 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 live right now. And uh, hope you guys have been having a wonderful, wonderful Thursday. Uh, now, here we are uh, Thursday evening as we step into another edition of the Sea Report. Doing it a little bit later if you're with us live over at Foxhole or at uh, Pilled. Or if you are uh, hanging out over at Twitch, Clout Hub, or Rumble. Good evening, good evening. I know uh, we don't always start uh, so late in the evening. Had a had a rather busy day today and uh, some things to do. So, uh, well, yeah, we're going to get our report in before the clock strikes midnight, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, we're glad to have you along with us for this journey. Man, so it's like uh, we got a whole bunch of bombshells just uh, popping up left and right here. Uh, on the uh, the scenic landscape of current events and goings on in our country and around the world, it seems that uh, seems that uh, you know uh, Ukraine and Russia aren't the only ones dropping bombs right now. We got a lot of uh, a lot of info news bombs just going off left and right, almost as if though they were perfectly planned and timed for such an occasion. And that occasion, ladies and gentlemen, is the present time. Uh, as things continue to unfurl and, uh, you know, we really have to think like, well, you know, is it, is it really, really just a coincidence that we have all these things going off as they are at this time? It is really quite interesting, ladies and gentlemen, uh, the times that we are in, that is for sure. Uh, we have, uh, for, <laughs> we have, for example, I mean, you know, we just, we have the, uh, the continued embarrassment for example, of uh, that clown, Joe Biden, running around the world. How do you think it feels? Well, my initial thought is, how do you think it feels for leaders of other countries to have to deal with someone that they know is illegitimate, right? Uh, some, someone that they know is not meant to be who they are in this world, and it's a downright joke. Now, say, for example, Joe Biden had gotten into office legitimately. Uh, he would then just be an embarrassment to America, you know. Uh, I mean, on top of all of his other bad decisions and just making this country look weak as you know what. Uh, they would just, you know, uh, push him over. He'd be a total doormat for them. Uh, but, you know, knowing that he did not get into office legitimately. And uh, I'm pretty sure they all know, you know, that's something else. But then again, they're all in on the scheme anyways, right? So it's not like they really have to pretend. I mean, they are pretending. They're all pretending, you know, they're all pretending. 
So, uh, because I mean, you know, they're aware of it, you know, it's just like, um, last night we covered, uh, the Maria Zuck Italy gate story. Okay. That was the first time that that information I had seen. And, uh, this story has been out since, uh, the end of December, 2020, you know? Um, so I was, I was continuing to look uh, into Maria Zuck and her information, and uh, she has been doing, um, you know, media and interview rounds since then. I mean, basically, that's what she's been doing, you know, uh, talking about Italy Gate, um, talking about uh, their evidence of uh, Italy's interference via, you know, the United States Rome consulate, uh, their Italian consulate there in Rome on Via the Netta, right? Uh, uh, sharing that information with everyone and uh, teaming up with a French, I guess, um, millionaire or billionaire. Uh, I forget his name, but uh, uh, something about him purchasing these databases that have all of this information that shows everything about, you know, the New World Order structure, documents about, you know, uh, agreements that they make, if they're going to be uh, uh, selected as a president, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera said something like there were 54 presidential elections around the world uh, that were rigged, not just President Trump in the United States of America. So very interesting. So I was continuing to go through some of that information and, you know, we'll, we'll probably do another story on that. Um, you know, maybe maybe I'll air some of the, uh, key, the key interviews, you know, the ones I think are really, uh, really on point uh, with that information. And then, of course, she comes uh, out of Canvas, uh, sorry, Canvas, out of Kansas, and uh, she uh, delivers all of that information to the Kansas State Senate uh, for them to review. So, I mean, the question now is, what are they going to do with it, right? In one of the interviews, I found quite interesting because Maria Zuck comes out of Georgia, okay? Uh, and in, in all of her interviews, from what I uh surmise what I deduce what I sense she's you know she's really on par for the course however um she was talking about in one interview how uh, she's from the state of Georgia so she knows a lot of people in the Georgia um, uh, legislative body and apparently she's really good friends with Brian Kemp and apparently she gave this information to Brian Kemp as well and she defended him to uh, the individual who was interviewing him. So, you know, I thought, well, she, she says Brian Kemp has a good heart. Uh, we've seen, or at least what we've been shared, it just does not look good for Brian Kemp. Uh, but then again, you know, they did, uh, they did blow up his daughter's boyfriend. So I don't know if that uh, scared, you know, scared God into him and uh, he just uh, folded and went ahead and went along with uh, whatever it is that they wanted him to do. Uh, it seems like, I mean, I guess that could be the case, you know, that, I guess that could be the case. I wonder if, uh, I wonder if the car that his daughter's boyfriend was driving happened to be a car that contains a QNX operating system as a, uh, you know, it's a technical computer for the computer, for the car. Could be very interesting, uh, but we'll follow up with that because that was such a large piece of the puzzle. Um, and then certainly with everything that's coming up right now, like right now, you know, we have a pretty packed show for you guys tonight. Tonight's going to be a lot of litigation cases. Okay, a lot of litigation cases. 
Uh, we are going to uh, cover the um, True the Vote hearing that happened today in Wisconsin. Big, big bombshells. Glad to know that this is happening in uh, Wisconsin. Now, we knew that True the Vote was going to be um, addressing other states. I-, I believe she said there were five states that they had the data for in regards to, uh, you know, the phone geolocation uh, and stuff like that. So um, huge, 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 huge. And it's great thing, too, because, again, as we were expressing with this entire Italy Gate thing, and uh, hey, Two Rivers, what's going on? Yes, it was via the Italian military satellites, the Leonardo uh, Leonardo um, contracting, I think is a government contractor. Leonardo was the name of it. Yeah. So uh, the thing the thing that's been the main hinge here is that Dominion has constantly said that their computer, their machines are not able to be accessed by the Internet. You know, now and then we find out from the Gableman report that these devices, in fact, have 36 points of entry, 36 possible entry points for, you know, some type of uh, uh, um, uh, remote connection. So, uh, you know, that's, uh, you know, uh, and then, of course, we have uh, the affidavits that we went through with Tori Says uh, the other night. And uh, that one also talks about the commercial off-the-shelf parts that are within the devices that could be, you know, susceptible to, uh, to um, a faulty or uh, to hackability. So, you know, we have, we have the ability proven and then with uh, Maria Zuck and her Italy Gate story, we have the who, the what, the well, we don't need to know the why, right? We can pretty much figure that out. The how and the when, right? Uh, Truver says Ukraine was rigged too, I think is how Zelensky got in. Yes. Yeah, we covered that uh, a couple of nights ago. And uh, what was it? I guess uh, Ukraine was kind of like a proving ground for Joe Biden. Uh, now, allegedly, he had made some comment b- before he announced his run for presidency that uh, he would only uh, he would only run uh, depending on how Ukraine went. But I don't know. I've never seen the footage for that. I've only heard done heard that story, ladies and gentlemen. All right, guys. So we got a full story. I mean, just so much stuff going on right now. Uh, we had the um, router and Splunk log report drop in Arizona. Incidentally, we're not going to cover that tonight. So I'll just say a few words about it. I think it's a bunch of bull, quite honestly, because uh, it doesn't look good. It doesn't look good. It, it looks like, uh, you know, they basically released a report with a bunch of statements, but they didn't release any data or any hard information to prove their statements. So in my opinion, it's just a statement uh, and we're supposed to just trust it because their grand master, who was he like uh, a John McCain Republican, uh, says so, their grand master or special master or whatever this guy was, Shedig, I think is his name. So yeah, it doesn't look good. It doesn't look good. You know, it's not like in Wisconsin or in Antrim where they could actually get into the devices themselves, you know. Um, A lot of things just don't add up, you know, in regards to Arizona. But we'll see where that goes, you know. Uh, I don't think that should deter any uh, prosecution or perp walks in that regard. I don't think it should at all, ladies and gentlemen. No siree, Bob. Okay, guys, so we are going to hop into it. 
Uh, let's see if we had anything else I wanted to mention before we get started. Well, I think that is good. We're going to talk about uh, we're going to talk about um, uh, President Trump suing the Clintons. Now, this is something. This is definitely something. Uh, definitely, definitely something worth looking into. You see how it's all being set up. So I'm like, it's like it's perfect timing. It's non coincidental, ladies and gentlemen. So uh, we're definitely getting to that. I was much surprised when I saw that headline. You see. You see, you never telegraph your moves to the enemy. Now, who saw that coming, ladies and gentlemen? I think now we can uh, finally qualify the statement. March Madness, guys. Everyone is mad as a hatter this month. It is insane, okay? Kentangi Brown Jackson, she is mad as a hatter. What an embarrassment. <laughs> Maybe we'll just get that off the floor. You know, this woman who cannot uh, define woman... <laughs> What was it? Someone had said, well, how is she going to hear cases on Title IX, women's athletics, something or other? I was like, yeah, that's a good point. That is a good point. How on earth is she going to do that? She's going to be like, I'm not a biologist. I'm sorry. I cannot hear this case. Uh, Let me call in a biology master to come and explain it and break it down for me. (laughs) Oh, but, you know, I think the most egregious thing, of course, is the entire uh, in defense of pedophiles thing that's going on with this woman. So, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, it's like, uh, this was Joe's pick. It, it, you know, it maybe, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's so embarrassing because like, um, it, either it's obvious they're looking for someone who will give them leniency whenever they are going before the courts, right? Or uh, what the heck, man? Like what the heck, you know, and the, um, Republican senators that were, uh, uh, handling this uh, committee hearing, man, some of the information that they busted out on her. If I were her, I would be embarrassed to walk out of that courtroom. I would want a paper bag over my head. I'm telling you what, guys, it is just insane. Uh, but at least you know, at least you know, they can see exactly how it goes. Like, why is it that people who commit these types of crimes? against innocent children get off so easily, right? Speaking of which, we also will be covering um, another human-slash-child sex trafficking story tonight, uh, one that almost went under the radar, at least for myself. And it is a pretty big one, guys. It is a pretty big one. I don't know if you guys have heard about uh, the Larry Ray trial that's currently underway in New York right now. And uh, this guy, yeah, it's bad. And uh, the other, the, the cherry on top, though, as cynical as it might be to say that, is that uh, they, just, um, they just accidentally released a list of names of his clients. And it just so happens that a lot of these clients are uh, on the upper echelons of Wall Street and places of power. We're talking in finance. We're talking in judiciary. We're talking police officers, Supreme Court justices. So we'll definitely get to that one tonight. I was like, whoa, why have I not heard about this case, ladies and gentlemen? I guess I've had my... uh, my head in too many other rabbit holes, right, to uh, find that one out. But, you know, my main thing right now is, uh, is really following the trail of this Maria Zucker, Zuck, I want to say Zucker, Ooh, sorry, Maria, Z- Maria Zach's story, because um, I want to know where this is going to go. 
uh, all of the information with the Maria Zach and uh, any of the people that she's working with really stands to identify the deep state, the shadow government on the world stage. So, you know, while we take care of that in litigation and, and discovery and disseminate the information throughout, uh, you know, uh, the broadcasts and the airwaves and the interwebs and all that stuff, uh, we'll let, uh, we'll let uh, President Trump handle his litigation and uh, we'll let Putin uh, continue to bomb the crap out of one of their home base uh, countries. And, uh, well, we'll take it from there, ladies and gentlemen. All right. So let's see what we got here. Bam. We uh, have, I think, just one statement today from President Trump. Incidentally, it's not even from President Trump himself, but it was released with his statements. Now, uh, President Trump, whom I would say is the most persecuted man in America, ladies and gentlemen, I don't think anyone would object to that. You know, he is the most persecuted man in America. From, from the beginning to the end, you know, and uh, I was not for the man when he started his run. Not at all. I had, I had an entirely different dog in the race. But when that dog was taken out, it was like, well, who are we going to vote for now? I don't like any of these people, you know. And uh, I was of the mindset that President Trump was absolutely a ringer for the Clintons. That's what I thought. I thought he was going to throw the race for them or, or who knows, right when it's uh, Clinton versus uh, Trump, they come out with the video of him grabbing some girl's crotch or something like that, you know? Uh, but indeed, that was not the case. And I think just like uh, many other people, it was the very fact that so much of the establishment was running and railing against him. That's when it was like, well... Maybe I ought to pay attention to this candidate, okay? And then, uh, and then uh, that became, um, that became uh, an admiration of his rhetoric and the things that he would say and the way that he would handle himself. And, and of course, that blossomed into, uh, into uh, the labor of his actions. It bore great fruit, okay? So this man was then no longer just words, he was actually doing what he said. You know, and, and that's why we say, like, it's not, it's not a, a great thing or a great idea, I should say, uh, to put your faith in men or women, humanity. But, you know, we have to have our heroes. We have to have our role models. Um, that's just uh, that's part of who we are, you know. Um, and that's not to say that we put all our faith in them. You know, he, he could be a custodian for the new world order. You know, the man that they sent in to clean out all their trash. Right. And then once the trash is taken up, he turns on the people. Right. That's a rather, rather, rather cynical look at life. And I won't live there, ladies and gentlemen, but we'll toss the idea out there anyways. But no, I don't think so. I just don't think so. Uh, just, uh, you know, I get, I get these crazy ideas in my head sometime, but uh, I don't think that's the case, guys. I don't think he's a, a custodian for the New World Order, <laughs> so to speak. But uh, yeah, so, you know, it's just, uh, for example, with this lawsuit that he's dropping on the Clintons and a whole host of other people, you know, one is like, uh, well... 
it's coming. <laughs> it is coming. And, you know, he's, he's doing these things because, uh, well, I mean, his entire presidency, as you, the audience, are very well aware, the man could hardly lead in executive office with all of these attacks that he suffered in numerous times. And now, now it's all coming home to roost. Everything is coming home to roost. I bet you they cannot stand, and by they I mean the deep state and the globalists, I bet you they cannot stand that even post-presidency, optically speaking, of course, this man is still on a roll. He's still on a steamer, ladies and gentlemen. He has not stopped steamrolling the New World Order (laughs) and just uh, destroying everything that they're trying to do. Of course, guys, we could be watching a show. We could be watching a show. I heard Dunn tell one time that we were going to be enjoying a very good movie. And I would have to say, if that is the case, indeed, ladies and gentlemen, this has been well worth the money I paid. Hey, Bubbles, how's it going? Yes, we are all sinners and imperfect, right? You know he's made mistakes. They just, it's nothing that they can really write home about, right? I had this one other theory. It's not worth floating around out there. You know, they they tried to pin him down with these lawsuits uh, where, like, what, he raped a girl or, you know, he had sex with kids. And that was just for the tabloids, right? Because the tabloids could be like, oh, look, there's there's a lawsuit here filed against Trump for this. And then it gets tossed out by the judges. Um... But it doesn't matter because in the wrap-up smear campaign art form, all they need is just one news cycle. And something that gives them some validity. Don't matter. Don't matter if it's true or not. I mean, that's why they've done everything that they've done. For example, with like, uh, you know, uh, Hunter's Laptop from Hell. Uh, just, Just as an example. You know, they hide it. You know, and and then when they're proven wrong, just like with, uh, you know, COVID-19, they don't even uh, they don't even correct themselves. They act as if, though, they have absolutely no responsibility for the way things have happened in this world and affected people's lives based on the words that they print and the words that they say. Truly a shame, but that is the way that they are, you know, so, you know. With that in mind, at least I would hope, and I think that there are enough people who are awake and aware. Now, maybe it's not a vast majority, but there are enough people who are aware and awake that are active. You know, they're not just conscious of things going on. They actually, you know, they're actually moving and doing things that uh, they won't. The, ma- the media, I mean, will not get away with this. Because again, as this uh, Hunter laptop thing is doing its second lap, right? Um People are going to start to realize that had they had this information prior to the elections, and they did, but it was censored, it was, uh, it was um, blackballed, well, ladies and gentlemen, I think some people are going to get pretty angry at the media, as it were. But this man has stood in his resolve I would say with a lot of integrity, and that takes a lot of inner strength, ladies and gentlemen. That takes a lot of inner strength to know, no matter what comes at you, that you can carry on. 
So that even after he's optically out of office, they're still going after him? Desperately so. Wasting taxpayers' money on trying to find the smoking gun that could cause an indictment of President Trump. And it just don't work. It just don't work. Hey, Relanon, what's up? Thank you for gifting 117 gold pills, buddy. True River says, the discovery exists for that lawsuit against the Clintons, etc., since both Mueller and Durham proved their Ricos. Oh, it's Rico time. Rico Suave. Rico Suave. Let's take a look at this first statement. As I said, uh, this was released from the desk of President Donald J. Trump, but it is actually a, uh, a press release penned by uh, Liz Harrington, right, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah, Liz Harrington, spokesperson for President Trump. It goes this way. Now, this is in regards to the uh, New York district attorneys and uh, attorney general, the ones that keep going after President Trump, right, trying to find something that he did wrong. Well, it says here, a radical left lawyer who works with Chuck Schumer's brother at a Democrat law firm is upset. The district attorney of New York has not yet pursued phony charges against President Trump. It's troubling how politicized our justice system has become, where Democrats are loaned out to gin up crimes against their political opponents. President Trump built a great business and did nothing wrong. New York should get back to solving their skyrocketing crime problem rather than spending so much time and energy on partisan witch hunts. On top of everything else, their firm represents the DNC, Democrats, and is Hillary Clinton's law firm. This is disgraceful behavior and how somebody like that and others from his firm can be let loose to become prosecutors of a great Republican president is disgraceful. So bad, in fact, that professional prosecutors resigned in protest of this presidential persecution. They thought it was very unfair. Will this radical left law firm be held legally accountable for what they have done? Good question there, Miss uh, Liz Harrington. Liz Harrington stays on top of it, ladies and gentlemen. You can get all the latest news and information on President Trump via her Twitter. She's very, very good. Very good. She does the, she does the rounds for him as well and the, uh, the news uh, cycles over there as well. Very, very good. But, um, yeah, they're still going after him. But, uh, it, and then it figures, too, that, you know, they have these people that are, they're so incestuous, right? And maybe this will shine some more light. You know, maybe we can tweak you know, uh, the, um, the field of litigation a little bit, you know, kind of like, well, if you're a political opponent of someone, maybe your law firm should not be, you know, seeking to persecute or representing someone that, uh, you know, is uh, going after your political opponent. It just, you know, it, it makes it look really bad, right? I mean, it makes it easier to clean them all up in the end, I guess, but man, you know, this lawfare and these tactics, I dare say, have been employed for psh, decades, decades, so refined that in this day and age, uh, we can all understand them. And uh, it's rather obvious how obnoxious these people are at trying to uh, take out individuals that they don't agree with or that they don't like 
or that whom they consider their opposition or whom they uh, consider a threat. And uh, President Trump is that for all of them. And he is all of that to them as well. <laughs> uh, Bubble says, I remember when they used to say, where there's smoke, there's fire. Still waiting. All right. Well, you know what, Bubbles? I am proud of your patience. We've all been very, very patient. We'll really have to see what happens when this lawsuit gets underway. I mean, there's going to be a whole bunch of, you know, back and forth and in between before we actually get to trial. Uh, especially when you guys see the list of individuals that he's filing suit against. But, you know, with the Durham case, I mean, you have a lot of evidence laid right there, out plain and clear, uh, that, you know, shows, proves. And then on top of that, he has the failed Mueller report and all that stuff. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that he can fall back onto. But, you know, it's kind of like this situation with... Uh, uh, Maria Zach again, you know, um, if they had had that data when they were going to court, you know, um, for those hearings on the election theft, can you imagine what they could have done? You know, or, or possibly, uh, possibly uh, they could have uh, handled that a different way, you know. Uh, so the timing of it is just kind of meh, right? It's just going to we're going to we're going to continue to see like, you know, uh, how you say uh, uh, smoke rising, right? But um, we're not going to see the fire yet. But, uh, you know, I think that Kindle is uh, getting pretty ready to uh, throw a log or two on. The laptop, no pun intended, will show proof of the Biden's Bush crimes in Ukraine and those biological weapons uh, labs. Indeed, it will. Uh, we covered... Um, uh, some weeks ago, uh, an article about uh, the biolabs, the Pentagon biolabs in Ukraine, okay? Uh, it's an article that we found over at, I think it was at Veterans uh, Today or something like that. Anyways, uh, we published it over at thecreport.com. And uh, in that article, it clearly talks about a company called Metabiota, you know, and... Uh, I was quite surprised when I saw a, uh, I think it was like a, a brief news flash or whatever, and they were talking about how Hunter owned a lot of stock or was, you know, co-founder or on the board or something like that of Metabiota. And so I was like, well, I mean, technically that means that uh, Hunter and the Bidens, by way of owning this company, which is, uh, you know, um, signed on to work with uh, these, these biolabs and the Pentagon. I think the Pentagon hired them on or something like that. Means that they were directly and indirectly involved in these bioweapons, biolabs, you know. So that's big deal right there. Yeah, true statement, Two Rivers, true statement. Metabiota by Hunter Biden. Isn't that crazy, guys? Isn't that crazy? So then you have the Russians pulling up all this proof of weapons of mass destruction, you know, these bio, biogenetic weapons. And that was the other thing that I'd seen about that too, is that uh, they had been trying to obtain samples of like Russian people, which means they potentially could have, uh, they potentially could have uh, created uh, viruses and diseases that would have attacked that race, ethnically speaking. That is crazy, guys. 
So it's all coming down. That fragile house of cards is a tumbling, ladies and gentlemen. President Trump has a straw and he's blowing on the bottom card in the corner. He's like, right? And the American people are blowing on another card on the other side of the house, right? That's with the election integrity efforts. Because, you know, let's face it, you know, they needed the people to be involved, not just to show that they're awake and doing something and they care, but also because look at all of the intricacies that we learned about election theft and fraud and how they did it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's just oodles and oodles and oodles of uh, evidence that's just stacking on top of each other. And I dare say Wisconsin is going to be the first state to decertify, ladies and gentlemen. I dare say Wisconsin will be the first state to decertify. After this true the vote, vote trafficking, uh, ballot trafficking uh, story just broke, right? Now, I didn't know where uh, Catherine Engelbrick was going to take her outfit next. I just know, uh, you know, she's got, she's got a handful of other states where they have this data. And they already did Georgia. And we have an update on that case tonight as well. Should be fun. Hey, Pilled by the Rabbit, how's it going? Good to see you, sir. Hope you are uh, nice and settled in for your uh, stay in the, what, the mountains of Utah. Wish I could be there, buddy, but thanks for the invite. Had too much going on this month, my friend. But you have a great time there, sir. All right, let's see. Okay, so we got, we got the witch on the screen here. She is now in a lawsuit with President Trump. Bam! What was... I was just like, whoa! I was like, okay, I didn't see this one coming. I was like, this is going to be an interesting news day today. We have President Trump filing RICO charges against Hillary Clinton. That means we've been on the right path, guys, right? It might be the long game. Justice might be served slowly this way, but it needs to be done this way, especially because we're a republic, right? We are a republic, which means we have to respect the rule of law and its processes, regardless of how much that might suck, right? We cannot employ the methods of the dark side, okay? Well, they did it that way, so let's do it back at them. No, 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 no. We cannot do that. Nope, nope, nope. That's where those three-letter uh, agencies went wrong, right? Where they're like, well, uh, you know, um, Israel uses uh, honeypot schemes to uh, entrap and blackmail uh, uh, politicians and world leaders. Why can't we do it? Yeah, that was J. Edgar Hoover's problem, you know, because he got busted wearing panties and making love to boys. And then he was like, oh, I'm going to be blackmailed. Oh, I'm going to do that too to my, my political enemies. Yeah. Talk about a leader. What a loser. Okay, let's look at this. Donald Trump sues Hillary Clinton, DNC, alleging false Russian collusion claims. Ladies and gentlemen, remember when he uh, sued Twitter and all of them? We need to follow up on that and see what's going on with that as well. So much to follow up on, guys. Man, it's easy to see how we can get behind sometimes. Anyways, uh, this article from Breitbart says former U.S. president, their words, not mine. Donald Trump Thursday filed a civil lawsuit against former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, the Democrat National Committee and others, alleging a conspiracy against him in 2016. Uh, The narrative. Oh, sorry. The suit alleges the defendants maliciously conspired to weave a false narrative 
that their Republican opponent, Donald J. Trump, was colluding with a hostile foreign sovereignty. Trump's suit names 28 individuals and organizations as defendants, alleging they worked together in a large interlocking conspiracy to cripple his presidential campaign by alleging collusion with Russia. The Trump suit said the alleged conspiracy was so outrageous, subversive, and incendiary that even the events of Watergate pale in comparison. The federal civil suit filed in Florida accuses the defendants of a malicious conspiracy to disseminate patently false and injurious information about Donald J. Trump and his campaign, all in the hopes of destroying his life, his political career, and rigging the 2016 presidential election in favor of Hillary Clinton. Trump's civil suit claims damages in excess of $24 million. It argues that the alleged conspiracy constituted a criminal conspiracy under the Racketeer and Corruption Organizations Act. The suit claims that named defendants have consistently and regularly committed acts of racketeering activity spanning from at least April of 2015. Now, see, this is where I'm super interested, guys, because, you know, RICO, racketeering, it's across, you know, all of these people, you know, state lines, etc., etc., etc. I can't wait... Because I believe this is going to happen, guys. I really believe this is going to happen. They're going to be able to tie all of the election fraud to these people. They're going to they're be able to do it. Now, it, are they going to be able to tie it directly back to Hillary Clinton? Maybe not. Are they going to be able to tie it back to the Democrat National Party or committee, whatever? Possibly. Because let's not forget in the uh, cases of True the Vote, okay, in cases of True the Vote in their ballot trafficking uh, investigation, as in Georgia, now so in Wisconsin, as they're tracking these ballot traffickers and the routes that they take to the various uh, drop boxes that they go to, they are, these people that are trafficking ballots are also going to local non-governmental organizations. They're also stopping by 501c3s. What are they doing there? Why would they be stopping by these places? And is this where they're getting their ballots from? And who are these entities? Are they Democrat uh, entities? Are they like some, you know, offshoot of the Democrat party? So there's still a lot of questions that needs to come out of this. And uh, Georgia's really going to have to take the lead on that. And we're going to have to see if they do, you know, I would say if Bradford Raffensperger over in Georgia wants to find a way out of accountability, he might want to start here. Okay. And uh, we can talk a little bit more about that when we talk about Georgia tonight. But I believe at some point they're going to be able to tie all of the fraud. I mean, Maria Zach's information alone could possibly tie that fraud together. Unless, you know, they find out that the person who is giving the go orders to, uh, you know, the uh, Italian embassy, right, um, and to Leonardo and all of those people, unless they find out the go orders were coming from a rhino, which I think would be topsy-turvy, but I think that's also very plausible because then it will illustrate how there are also crooked and traitorous Republicans within the party for all of those individuals out there who just cannot see that at this point. It'll prove a lot. Um, It is definitely a beautiful thing that all of this is coming out into the open, guys. Like, 
the age of accountability is upon us, you know, and uh, I, I, hopefully humanity follows suit. You know what I mean? Hopefully humanity follows suit. And then, and then we'll, we'll step out of that paradigm of, uh, well, you know, uh, I'm the boss, so I'm going to do what I want. And then their subordinate being like, well, you know what, my boss does it, so I'm going to do it. And then that subordinate subordinate being like, well, my boss does it, so I'm going to do it, right? Can anyone just have a little bit of integrity and not try and, uh, you know, uh, do something that's like untoward just because their direct supervisor does it too? I mean, come on, really. Anyways, I don't know. Uh, let's see here. Let's get back to this article. <clears throat> It says, uh, it further alleges the RICO defendants through and using the enterprise engaged in and continues to engage in a coordinated effort to destroy the plaintiff's political career and impede his ability to effectively govern as president of the United States. After a two-year investigation, former special counsel Robert Mueller found that Russia did interfere in the 2016 election, but said he was unable to conclude whether Trump's campaign colluded with the Russian government or whether Trump obstructed the investigation. In 2019, former Attorney General, the B-2 bomber, Big Booby Billiam Barr, tapped John Durham to investigate the origins of the two-year Russia probe. Durham's investigation was yield has yielded three indictments, but has not produced evidence of a widespread conspiracy against President Trump. So saith the Hill. Breitbart, you're better than that. You don't need to quote the Hill unless you're just using them as a scapegoat to put that thought into everyone's head. What is up with that, man? Yeah, I heard I heard the Hill was uh, defending, you know, uh, uh, the laptop from hell or something like that. Who would be so stupid to do that? You know, I mean, I, we don't, we don't normally look at the hill here anyways, guys. So it doesn't matter, but, uh, yeah, that's ridiculous. Here's a copy of that. Uh, here's a copy of that, uh, lawsuit guys. Let's see here. Uh, president Trump taking on, uh, Hillary Clinton, the Hillary, uh, Clinton, uh, foundation, right? A F I'm sure that's Hillary F A C C. <laughs> Uh, Democrat National Committee, DNC Service Corporation, Perkins Coy, uh, Michael Sussman, Mark Elias, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, Charles Halliday Dolan Jr., Jake Sullivan, John Podesta, Robert Mook, Philippi Rines, Fusion GPS, Glenn Simpson, Peter Fritsch, Nellie Orr, Bruce Orr, Orbis uh, Business Intelligence, Christopher Steele, Igor Danchenko, uh, Newstar, Rodney Joffe, not to be confused with Joffe Joffer, James Comey, Peter Strzok, Lisa Page, Clevin Kleinsmith, Andrew McCabe, and John Doe's 1 through 10, said names being fictitious and unknown persons. Is that a joke? Did he put a joke in there or what? <laughs> and ABC Corporation's 1 through 10, said names being fictitious and unknown enemy and entities. Hmm. Are those their anonymous sources, right? Maybe that's what that's all about. Hmm. So that's pretty, uh, it's a pretty hefty list right there. I bet you that's just to start. Uh, let's see. Let's read some of this, guys. <clears throat> just so we can have it on record. It says, in the run-up to the 2016 presidential election, Hillary Clinton and her cohorts orchestrated an unthinkable plot, one that shocks the conscience and is an affront to this nation's democracy, 
Acting in concert, the defendants maliciously conspired to weave a false narrative that the Republican opponent, Donald J. Trump, was colluding with a hostile foreign sovereignty. The actions taken in furtherance of this scheme falsify evidence, deceiving law enforcement, and exploiting access to highly sensitive data sources are so outrageous, subversive, and incendiary that even the events of Watergate pale in comparison. Under the guise of opposition research, data analytics, and other political stratagems, the defendants nefariously sought to sway the public's trust. They worked together with a single self-serving purpose to vilify Donald J. Trump. Indeed, their far-reaching conspiracy was designed to cripple Trump's bid for presidency by fabricating a scandal that would be used to trigger an unfounded federal investigation and ignite a media frenzy. The scheme was conceived, coordinated, and carried out by top-level officials at the Clinton campaign and the DNC, including the candidate herself, who attempted to shield her involvement behind a wall of third parties. To start, the Clinton campaign and the DNC enlisted the assistance of their shared counsel, Perkins Coy, a law firm with deep Democrat ties in the hopes of obscuring their actions under the veil of attorney-client privilege. Perkins Coy was tasked with spearheading the scheme to find or fabricate proof of a sinister link between Donald J. Trump and Russia. To do so, Perkins Coy launched parallel operations. On one front, Perkins Coy partner Mark Elias led an effort to produce spurious opposition research claiming to reveal illicit ties between the Trump campaign and Russian operatives. On a separate front, Perkins Coy partner Michael Sussman headed a campaign to develop misleading evidence of a bogus back-channel connection between the email servers at Trump Tower and a Russian-owned bank. Mark Elias, in his mission to obtain derogatory anti-Trump opposition research, commissioned Fusion GPS, an investigative firm, and its co-founders, Peter Frisch and Glenn Simpson, and directed them to dredge up evidence, actual or otherwise, of collusion between Trump and Russia. Fritch and Simpson in turn enlisted the assistance of Orbis Limited and its owner, Christopher Steele, to produce a series of reports purporting to contain proof of the supposed collusion. Of course, the now fully debunked collection of reports known as the Steele dossier was riddled with mismatched, uh, mismatchment, or misstatements, misrepresentations, and most of all, flat out lies. In truth, the Steele dossier was largely based upon the information provided to Steele by his primary subsource, Igor Danchenko, who was subsequently indicted for falsifying his claims. Even more damning, Danchenko had close ties to senior Clinton campaign official Charles Halliday Dolan Jr., who knowingly provided false information to Danchenko, who related to Steele, who reported it in the Steele dossier and eagerly fed the deception to both the media and the FBI. This duplicitous arrangement existed for a singular self-serving purpose, to discredit President Donald J. Trump and his campaign. At the same time, Michael Sussman, in his hunt for damaging intel against the Trump campaign, turned to Newstar Incorporated, an information technology company and one of its top executives, Rodney Joffe, a fervent anti-Trumper who had recently been promised a high-ranking position with the Clinton administration to exploit their access to non-public data in search of a secret back-channel connection between Trump Tower and Alpha Bank. 
When it was discovered that no such channel existed, the defendants resorted to truly subversive measures, hacking servers at Trump Tower, Trump's private apartment, and most alarmingly, the White House. This ill-gotten data was then manipulated to create a misleading inference and submitted to law enforcement in an effort to falsely implicate Donald J. Trump and his campaign. All of these acts were carried out in coordination with the Clinton campaign and the DNC at the behest of certain Democrat VIPs. While their multi-pronged attack was underway, the defendants seized on the opportunity to publicly malign Donald J. Trump by instigating a full-blown media frenzy. Indeed, the Clinton campaign and DNC, admittedly on a mission to raise the alarm about their contrived Trump-Russia link, repeatedly fed disinformation to the media and shamelessly promoted their false narratives. All the while... Hillary Clinton, Jake Sullivan, Debbie Debbie Wasserman Schultz, and others did their best to proliferate the spread of those dubious and false claims through press releases, social media, and other public statements. The fallout from the defendants' actions was not limited to the public denigration of Trump and his campaign. The Federal Bureau of Investigations, relying on the defendants' fraudulent evidence, commenced a large-scale investigation and expended precious time, resources, and taxpayer dollars looking into the spurious allegations that the Trump campaign had colluded with the Russian government to interfere in the 2016 presidential election. The effects of this unfounded investigation were prolonged and exacerbated by the presence of a small faction of Clinton loyalists who were well positioned within the Department of Justice and the FBI. James Corney, Andrew McCabe, Peter Strzok, Lisa Page, Kevin Kleinsmith, and Bruce Orr. These government officials were willing to abuse their positions of the public trust to advance the baseless probe to new levels, including obtaining an extrajudicial FISA warrant and instigating the commencement of an oversight investigation headed by special counsel Robert Mueller. As a result, Donald J. Trump and his campaign were forced to expend tens of millions of dollars in legal fees to defend against these contrived and unwarranted proceedings. Justice would ultimately prevail. Following a two-year investigation, Special Counsel Mueller went on to exonerate Donald J. Trump and his campaign with his findings that there was no evidence of collusion with Russia. The full text of the defendant's wrongdoing has been steadily and gradually exposed by Special Counsel John Durham, who has been heading a DOJ investigation into the origins of the Trump-Russia conspiracy. To date, He has already issued indictments to Sussman and Danchenko, among others, for proffering false statements to law enforcement officials. As outlined below, these speaking indictments not only implicate many of the defendants named herein, but also provide a great deal of insight into the inner workings of the defendants' conspiratorial enterprise. Based on the recent developments and the overall direction of Durham's investigation, it seems all but certain that additional indictments are forthcoming. In short, the defendants, blinded by political ambition, orchestrated a malicious conspiracy to disseminate patently false and injurious information about Donald J. Trump and his campaign, all in the hopes of destroying his life, his political career, and rigging the 2016 presidential election in favor of Hillary Clinton. When their gambit failed and Donald J. Trump was elected, the defendants' efforts continued unabated merely shifting their focus to undermining his presidential administration. 
Worse still, the defendants continue to spread their vicious lies to this day as they unabashedly publicize their thoroughly debunked falsehoods in an effort to ensure that he will never be elected again. The deception, malice, and treachery perpetrated by the defendants has caused significant harm to the American people and to the plaintiff, Donald J. Trump, and they must be held accountable for their heinous acts. What a powerful statement. And that's just the introduction, ladies and gentlemen. We're not going to read the rest of this, but uh, I'm sure you guys can get your hands on this if you'd like to see it. It's 108 pages long. Man, guys, I don't know. I feel it. I feel that time is coming. This is a time like no other time. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm sure I don't need to tell you guys that. If you haven't been here long, stick around, ladies and gentlemen, because, uh, man, can you, I don't know. I'm just thinking, like, can you imagine, you know, those who have been awake and aware of this for decades? Like, we're finally coming to this point, right? I mean, if President Trump had just gone in there and dropped this indictment before the Durham stuff came out, you know, they would have just tossed it out of court. They would have like uh, been like, you crazy. This is all just hearsay. What have you, uh, what have you, what, how, how, how many shrooms have you had, President Trump, that you can come up with this crazy conspiracy, you conspiracy theorist? But no, you know, this is a time unlike any other time, guys. And speaking of more evidence and information coming out, y'all, in this time unlike any other time, uh, we had, um, uh, let's see, Catherine Engelbrecht, uh, Engelbrecht, right, I said her name right, uh, of True the Vote, Wisconsin side today. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So excited. Now, with the Gableman report having come out, um, and now this, you know, ooh boy, ooh boy. Let me tell you what. I am willing to bet $10. <laughs> That's how confident I am, ladies and gentlemen. $10, $10. Willing to bet Wisconsin is the first to decertify. I mean, yes, Rhino Robin Voss has already said, he's already said we can't decertify, right? Like, do you think that's going to stop them? I mean, I don't know. He's, he's kind of like the X factor, but not the X factor because everyone knows he's a rhino. So everyone expected him to do that. Yes, he admitted that fraud was rampant in Wisconsin, but no, he says they cannot decertify. I'd be like, sir, how well do you know your constitution and your state constitution? Do you understand what these documents do and what they're for? That's the way I would be. I would be like, uh, don't let anything get in the way of justice and what's right and what the people want. There's always a way to do it, ladies and gentlemen. There's always a way to do it. Anyhow, uh, so true the vote, ladies and gentlemen, you may remember, uh, broke some headlines uh, sometime long the summertime. It was probably about July or August. 
where they announced that they were doing an investigation into ballot trafficking. Of course, they didn't call it ballot trafficking back in the summer. Uh, it was it was just uh, an investigation into ballot harvesting and uh, some things that they were looking at. Now, what made this investigation unique? And again, this is this was one of those things that came out of left field, right? Like, we didn't see this one coming. Like, wow, like, this is amazing. Um, basically, what True the Vote has done is they've purchased terabytes and terabytes of uh, data and information, cell phone data, right? Uh, so that they could um, go through this information and using uh, geolocation pinging uh, kind of figure out who was where and when. And if you can imagine all of that data, right? terabytes and terabytes of cell phone information, guys, that had to take some time, right? They were smart enough to know to purchase this data early on, okay? Like, I think before, you know, Joe Biden was even being falsely inaugurated, they had already purchased the data, okay? Uh, they had some problems in some states and some counties with purchasing or I, sh- I do say purchasing because they are getting charged for this stuff. But with obtaining video records, um, you know, um, film of, uh, of the drop boxes who, you know, when they popped up in 2020 for a dear old, uh, you know, COVID-19, uh, they were to be, you know, watched by cameras, security cameras. So they had issues with that. But long story short, let's make it longer. You know, basically they, uh, they um, culled out uh, patterns of people who were uh, running along certain routes where you have these drop boxes repeatedly multiple times, okay? In the case of Georgia, there was like something like 240-something different people, individuals, who were running routes on the drop boxes, okay? And they did this by using their geospatial geolocation information and data, And then uh, using date and time, they would line it up with whatever computer, I mean, camera footage that they could find, if it was good, if it was there, if they they had obtained it. And uh, they were able to form a pattern of what has now been termed ballot traffickers. First time ever, ladies and gentlemen, we've heard of ballot harvesters, right? We know all about the ballot harvesters. They go and they pick up ballots from people and they're not supposed to do that. Or, you know, good example, Racine, Wisconsin. Uh, well, actually, all of the nursing homes in Wisconsin where you had these people going in and uh, harvesting ballots um, from individuals, exploiting them, taking advantage of them, disrespecting them. Uh, but ballot trafficking is different because, like I said, along these routes of, uh, you know, um, ballot drop boxes, these people were also stopping at, you know, uh, buildings for NGOs and for nonprofit organizations and, and the likes. You know, I think they even said that they would stop by the Democrat uh, committee office or what local office there, wherever it is that they were at. But uh 
What's up, ladies and gentlemen? It's Mr. C from The C Report, and I'm stopping in for just a sec to encourage you guys to head over to thecreport.com. At thecreport.com, you can get more information on The C Report, check out episode resources, follow our blog and get new articles every week, join our mailing list, and stay abreast on the latest news and information. That's right, head on over to thecreport.com. That's www.thecreport.com. And be sure to follow us on our social medias Truth Social, Rumble, Twitch, Clout Hub, and Pilt.net. That was in Georgia, right? In Georgia, they, they found 240 something uh, ballot traffickers. They forced Bradford Raffensperger to open an investigation because obviously not only did they have the data and the evidence and, you know, visual evidence as well. I I mean, I'm sure, you know, uh, Bradford Raffensperger could have pulled a uh, he could have pulled a uh, State Farm Arena moment and been like, oh, that's just urban legends. Yeah, it's urban myths here, you know, uh, with uh, Wanda Freeman and uh, the other one. Uh, Andrea Moss uh, pulling buckets out from underneath uh, tables and, you know, quintuple scanning ballots. That's just an urban myth. Didn't happen. Right. You know, that's an urban myth that they tell around the campfire that gets everyone scared. Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you what. But um, so True the Vote had stated that they had this type of information and for various states, I, they listed like five. Texas was one, Wisconsin, obviously now one, Georgia. I think Pennsylvania and Michigan maybe are the other two. Uh, I know Texas is one because uh, they're actually based out of Texas, which is awesome, right? Uh, and you know what? Maybe if they do the same thing here in Texas, they will force Abbott to do an actual real audit because that's not what we got going on right here right now, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, but let's see here. So Georgia, I mean, Wisconsin, ladies and gentlemen, Wisconsin's legislation has already been rocked by the Gableman report that broke out on March 1st. You know, that was like the coming of March madness. Michael Gableman has entered the building. And boy, did he light it on fire, ladies and gentlemen. They're all mad, mad as hatters. So in Wisconsin today, we had another hearing with the Wisconsin Committee on Campaign and Elections to uh, hear the evidence and the information that True the Vote had to share with the state legislators. Now, uh, True the Vote in Wisconsin purchased 25 terabytes of cell phone data from Milwaukee and other Wisconsin communities in the two weeks before the elections, from October 20th until November 3rd. Uh, True the Vote examined the data and found over 53,000 visits to the drop boxes. Mm-hmm. Yep. True the Vote examined the data and looked at who visited the drop boxes in Wisconsin, and they found over 107 of those people visited the drop boxes over 2,000 times each. That is insane, guys. Between October 20th and November 3rd, each of them 
visited a Dropbox 2,000 times. Like, these people don't got nothing to do. Well, you know, I guess we were in the middle of COVID, right? They're like, well, we're not working anyways. Let's make some extra money. I wonder how much these guys made. Because in Georgia, they got $10 a ballot. And, you know, what really forced Bradford's hand, uh, I'm talking about the Secretary of Snakes over there, Raffensperger, was that they had a whistleblower came forward and said, well, my mama said that I should probably tell the truth, so I am. That's insane. You know, I hope they get lucky in the case here. But if you guys consider all of the damning information, all of the laws broken, and the bribes accepted in Wisconsin via the Gableman report, they already wanted to certify. They already wanted to certify. I mean, screw Arizona at this point, you know. Oh, man, you know, I don't know what to say about Arizona anymore. You know, we're talking about uh, smoking, uh, smoking guns and fires burning uh, bubbles. <laughs> Arizona's been on fire for how long and ain't nothing happened there yet. You know, I am not going to give up hope, though. We can't give up hope. We have to have faith. OK, maybe we don't need to use the word hope. Faith. We have to have faith. Justice will be served. I mean, it would be egregious for them not to do anything, you know, uh, when it, in the face of all of the evidence, when everyone is watching, like, don't they get it? Like people are paying attention nowadays, like people are looking and watching and following the story and we're not letting it go, you know? So I don't understand why these people seem to think like they're behind some kind of invisibility shield, like they're all Hunter Biden, right? Well, it seems that even Hunter Biden's going to have his comeuppance because, uh, well, the entire Biden family is, for that matter. The entire Biden family is. You know, if we're really watching a movie, wouldn't it be interesting if uh, everyone was instructed to uh, not do anything about the Hunter Biden laptop and to uh, not talk about it? So this way they could, you know, they could, they could show everyone how they are, right? If this thing was already won, uh, that's like third or fourth level of conversation from here, I know. It's a little, little bit out here for what we're talking about. Anyways, back to Wisconsin. So yeah, uh, this would mean that these out-of-work Wisconsins who were probably receiving, you know, uh, um, COVID relief fund money, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, were getting some extra monies. I wonder if they're going to report that on their taxes. I know that's like, you know, an inconsequential point, but uh, I'd rather they be indicted and they pay their time another way, right? But that means they went over 15 times per day to these boxes. So uh, let's see, Sarah. It says, um, yeah, yeah. So apparently these same antics are running around in other battleground states. I don't doubt, you know, it would be something if they had this in Arizona, I need to go back and, you know, we could probably just go to the True the Vote website. I'm sure it says there in what other states they have this information. Uh, but if they have this data for Arizona, that is going to, what are you going to do then, Bernovich? right? Sit on it and play golf or something like that. Go hunting with your nunchucks. Now, according to the hearing held today, uh, True the Vote found that, oh, and there's Catherine Engelbrick, by the way. That is she. She is founder of True the Vote. You know, actually, True the Vote's been around for quite some time. Um, I guess they just haven't been in the headlines. I found this article, I think it was back from 2012, where uh, the Democrat House Committee on uh, Reform and uh, etc. were actually investigating them. They were investigating them back in 12. 
so I was like, oh, wow, these guys have actually been around for a while. So, you know, I guess that's how they were able to muster up a really slam dunk of an investigation. I mean, I'm like, who would have had the foresight to even think about something like that? Like, I just, it blows my mind that uh, these guys are doing what they're doing. I'm so, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, so elated that uh, these smart people came at it from another angle. That's what I'm saying. They're, we're they're, we're going to get it at a whole bunch of different angles, guys. If we can't do it through a forensic audit because, you know, the state, the state lawmakers and uh, the courts won't let us do it, you know, um, then we're going to go with broken laws like in Wisconsin or we're going to go with uh, something else, you know, to try and get us across that finish line. And that's what I'm saying about Georgia as an example, like with all of the evidence that was coming out of Georgia on election night, okay, they could have decertified a long time ago and then do their audit, you know? I mean, I don't see anything wrong with that either. I don't see anything wrong with decertifying an election if there is such evidence and then doing the audit. But the audit has to be done because we have to know the vulnerabilities and the many different ways that they have committed the fraud. So we have to do an audit regardless of whether it's before or after decertification. Arizona just had that trajectory and look where it's got. It's gotten, uh, it's gotten uh, jammed up in the, uh, the jurisprudence, in the, in the judicial, which is not encouraging at all. But it's going to make uh, Brnovich's run for U.S. Senate a lot harder. So uh, they estimated that there was 7% of the ballots in Wisconsin in the drop boxes that were fraudulent votes. 7%. Or 137,000 ballots were trafficked in Wisconsin. That says a lot, ladies and gentlemen. Here's an example of their um, geo, geolocation data and pinging. Now, I know you can't really see the lines, but like I think this one's probably one of the clear ones. And you could see the path that they would take. Okay. So, you know, they found the patterns uh, that had to have taken hours of excruciating work to, you know, find someone on a, tr a trail and then isolate that individual's, you know, uh, history, geolocation history, and then, uh, and then call that information. So, uh, sample travel of four devices on October 20th. So, four different devices... And yep, you know, I mean, what kind of a person does stuff like this? I dare say, ladies and gentlemen, what kind of a person? I mean, do you think it's people who just don't know, um, you know, they just don't know the law? Or do you think it's people who are probably people who are definitely anti-Trump, right? Or, or just anti-conservative or just super pro-Democrat. Like, you know, I could see, I could see like a Democrat soccer mom rationalizing, right? That it's okay because Trump is bad, right? Orange man bad, right? I could definitely think of a, uh, a progressive or an SJW college student rationalizing that I'm saving America by doing this. Like we're going to save the country, right? Mm. 
Yep, yep. What kind of a person? I'd be like, dude, you're ruining our country. What's wrong with you? Um, so we had this case also. Now, this kind of piggybacks or actually it, it uh, precedes this um, hearing that they had uh, today, this morning in Wisconsin. And it has to do with the ballot drop boxes. Because basically, I don't know, back in like January, February, you had one of the judges in Wisconsin rule that ballot drop boxes are unconstitutional in Wisconsin as per the state constitution, the laws written in their state. Uh, But then, of course, you have little rhino Robin Voss, who keeps doing everything in his power to try and make these ballot drop boxes legal, okay? Even to the point of sneaking in um, verbiage to that effect in uh, in, uh, recent litigation. I mean, litigation, in recent uh, bills, okay? Sneaking it in so that this way uh, they can make it legal, okay? They can make it legal. Uh, So Robin Voss, guys, I mean, I don't know, President Trump. I think it's about time you lay down that hammer, you know, because Robin Voss was also part of a national committee that was effective in getting these ballot drop boxes into all 50 states or wherever it is that they are. You know, maybe it's not all 50 of them, but, uh, you know, he served on a board that did that, you know, not just for Wisconsin. So this guy's clearly on some other planet and that planet is not the same planet that his constituents reside on and he must walk around in a bubble. I'm sure he's aware, but at the same time, it's like, dude, like everyone sees it. And you know, what kind of a person, Robin Voss, to look President Trump in the eyes and tell him that he's for election integrity? Yeah, I'm like, Do you think President Trump can sense the lies coming off of him? It's just seeping off of him. So in this article, it uh, it refortifies. It talks about these ballot drop boxes. And apparently the RNC is backing them up in Wisconsin. And there was a court ruling about it at the Wisconsin Supreme Court. Headline reads, RNC GOP groups ask Wisconsin Supreme Court to affirm lower court ruling against ballot harvesting. Okay, so they need to get their harvesting and their trafficking and all of that uh, figured out. But uh, it says the Republican National Committee and two other GOP groups filed a joint amicus brief on Wednesday in a Wisconsin Supreme Court uh, case regarding a ballot harvesting in state elections. The case Tegan v. Wisconsin Election Commission revolves around a Wisconsin Election Commission policy adopted during the 2020 presidential election that allowed absentee voting via drop boxes and ballot harvesting. The circuit court ruled that the WEC's memoranda violated the state's election statutes, which say that absentee ballots shall be mailed by the elector or delivered in person to the municipal clerk issuing the ballot or ballots. The brief, which was just which was joined by uh, both the National Republican Senatorial Committee and the Republican Party of Wisconsin, asks the Wisconsin Supreme Court to uphold the lower court's ruling. The RNC is joining with the NRSC and Wisconsin Republican Party to file a Supreme Court amicus brief in Wisconsin because appointed election officials have no right to circumvent the law or election laws duly passed by state legislatures. RNC chairwoman Corona Rona McDaniels, another rhino that's got to go, Mittens Romney's little niece there, uh, 
said in an exclusive statement to Breitbart News, Wisconsin has clear laws against ballot harvesting, but activist members of the unelected Wisconsin Election Commission disregarded them in the 2020 election. Republicans will not allow such undemocratic attacks on election integrity to go unchallenged. NRSC Chairman Senator Rick Scott also gave a statement to Breitbart News emphasizing a threat to the integrity of our votes. We need maximum participation in our elections with zero fraud, but we have unfortunately seen unelected bureaucrats and election officials recently carry out activities across our nation that have threatened the integrity of our votes. In Wisconsin, we are now seeing a rewrite of voting laws to include unsupervised vulnerable drop boxes, which is not only against the law, but Americans overwhelmingly reject it. Americans want secure elections, and what's happening in Wisconsin is incredibly concerning. I'm proud to join Chairwoman Corona Rona McDaniels and the Republican National Committee in filing this amicus brief and hope the court acts decisively to protect our elections. According to the filing, the WEC is only authorized to administer and enforce Wisconsin statutes as expressly set forth by the legislature and has no authority to promulgate new election-related laws. To the contrary, WEC's new methods of delivery of completed absentee ballots, untethered to any legislative grant, authorization, or safeguards, are ripe for fraud, undue influence, or similar abuse, which is exactly what the legislature expressly intended to prevent when it authorized voting by absentee ballot. The brief, is al- the brief also notes that an administrative rule in the state must be published in official registers after public hearings, written input, and a series of complicated bureaucratic checks before being implemented to ensure that an agency is acting within the bounds of its statutory authority and in otherwise reasonable manner. The brief poses two legal questions for the Wisconsin Supreme Court. Whether state statutes governing the methods for delivery of completed absentee ballots means uh, what they say and whether the WEC can ignore those statutes and create its own method for delivering those ballots. The GOP groups argue that the statute should be interpreted as written and that new methods of delivery created by the WEC exceed the commission's statutory authority, violate the separation of powers, and were procedurally improper under the state rulemaking process. So, very interesting, huh, guys? Now, this we already knew. I mean, this was the case with, uh, I think it was in Pennsylvania as well, where you have the Secretary of State writing new guidelines on how to, you know, check signatures, et cetera, et cetera. You can't do that. Now, in the case of the Wisconsin Election Commission, when it came to the county of Racine, right? And you had that sheriff that wanted them arrested. He was like, they should have charges brought on them, five of the six uh, commissioners. Uh, The commissioners were saying, well, you know, it's because of COVID. It's because of COVID. That's why we did it. We did it because of COVID. You know, I don't hear them crying that anymore. I mean, they broke the law. Now, you could say, I guess, you did it because of COVID. Uh, Emergency powers, I, you know, I don't see where the emergency powers play into the decisions that the Wisconsin Election Commission would create 
for handling these uh, um, drop boxes or this election or whatever. Um, but, you know, the, the WEC received its authority. It was born from the Wisconsin State Legislature. It was born out of them creating the commission. You know, so they can't overrule their creators, obviously. And then, you know, it's state law. You know, commissioners, whatever. Even even uh, even city councilmen cannot create new laws, emergency or not. But that's what they're they're trying to do. That was their angle for some time. But I don't think that angle got them pretty far because, uh, well, I mean, they're really coming under fire right now and rightfully so. And do you, can you imagine how embarrassing it has to be for Robin Voss? Because here's the man who keeps trying to get drop boxes in law to make them lawful. And now you have like these two huge uh, Republican national uh, organizations descending upon Wisconsin. I wonder what's up with that. You know, what's up with that, Rona? Because where were you whenever President Trump was getting his uh, his uh, presidency stolen from him? Right. Where were you, Rona? Why are you here now? Is she up for re-election also, Rona? I mean, come on, you know, you're a little bit too late, hon. I mean, thank you for giving the assist in Wisconsin, but I think that uh, True the Vote and Gableman had this one down. But it is going to put more pressure on Voss. It's going to show everyone the rhino that he is. Uh, if they don't already see it, I don't know how they can't see it. It's pretty obvious Robin Voss is a rhino, okay? I'm just saying, it's... Pretty dang obvious. He is the elephant in the room. Robin Voss is. And his shenanigans. Shenanigans, I tell you. This Robin Voss character. All right, that's going to take us over to an update in Georgia and their True the Vote investigation. Now, like I said already, um, we have, uh, we have um, Bradford Raffensperger who's claimed time and again, like, they were the gold standard of how to run an election, right? They were in the top, you know, the top uh, 10 of the best, top five of the best ex executed and most secure election in 2020. These are his words. I'm paraphrasing. They're not mine, okay? Like, they were a shining example Okay, regardless of the fact that he and his lawyer had a little uh, a little scout on the ground that was feverishly taking notes about everything that he saw. And, you know, and we've been through these notes several times. It was like 27, 29 pages of notes that this guy was taking. Okay, and uh, yeah, yeah, um, I see that they are um, running the same ballot in a couple or three times. I don't know if they're supposed to do that, but okay. Uh, we, we got, we've got these, uh, um, belligerent, uh, um, um, uh, election helpers who are saying that they want to tear shit up, you know, <laughs> uh, there's issues with these ballots because I see them just bringing them in these plastic totes. And I think they're supposed to be in like a steel locked box. And, uh, there seems to be huge chain of custody issues and multiple times he made those statements in his notes, but they are the shining example right, of the urban myths, Wandrea Moss and uh, Ruby Freeman, right? Those are urban legends, right? Those are urban legends. The ghostly tale of Wandrea Moss, woo, and Ruby Freeman, oh, 
and the, the tale of how they stole the election. Man, tell that story around a campfire. I will not be able to sleep at night. Don't show me any pictures, guys. Um, so uh, somehow they are the spitting uh, example of uh, election, um, election management. <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, uh, Bradford Rappensberger, who I don't think he's a rhino. I, I really think he's just a Democrat is re- really what he is. He's he's not a rhino. He He's not bought out and in someone's pocket. He went in being a Democrat to just screw everything up. Right. He had another agenda. That, that is what I think the definition or the, the difference in that definition could be. Right. A rhino is someone who says they're a Republican or conservative, but they're beholden to whomever pays them. Someone like Rap- Bradford Raffensperger is like a double agent. OK, he's like, I don't need you to pay me. I'm going to do what they don't want me to do anyways. You know, he's t- He's in his own league there. I mean, there are probably several people, but never mind the stories that we shared with you guys a long time ago that they actually have firms in Georgia where they literally run Democrats as Republicans. Literally. Hey, MacGyver, what's up? Thanks for gifting the can. Glad to see you in the audience today. Much appreciated, sir. So anyhow... Um, you have voter GA and Garland Favorito stuck in the courts. He is stuck in the courts. That poor guy has just, they have just been running him and running him in circles in the courts, that lawfare, right? They're like, oh, well, you know, uh, we only need 22 months. We could probably run Garland Favorito for 22 months, right? And then we can erase the data. And then when they come and look for it, well, we're going to say, well, you're beyond the statute of limitations. So it, you know, we, it doesn't matter, Right. So poor Garland Favorito, but you know, the good thing about him is he is so diligent and so humble. He still managed to uncover a whole bunch of evidence, okay, in his circle running between the courts. He has managed to uncover a whole lot of evidence, okay, and he's held press conferences for them every single time. So they're on record, they're documented. Some of them are in the courts, you know, where he actually did go to court to present the evidence. So they had to look at it, etc. But it wasn't until True the Vote came along that uh, Bradford Raffensperger had to, had to go along to get along and start an investigation into ballot trafficking. And so that's why I say, you know, Bradford... You, uh, you, uh, certified an election that was fraudulent. Maybe you shouldn't have done that. Um, if he wants to escape accountability, he, this is his window, right? This is his window to be like, okay, well, you know, everything ran perfectly at State Farm. There was no, uh, there was no, uh, you know, uh, questions about chain of custody. Uh, uh, all of the ballot images, you know, they're all unique and individually sourced and in order. None of the ballot batches are copied. We don't have duplicate ballots in there, right, Bradford, since you don't want to investigate that. But ballot trafficking, oh, well, Bradford, this is your chance to, uh, to get out of trouble. This is your get out of jail free card follow through. Unless we find out that some of these people were stopping by Bradford Raffensperger's house to pick up the ballots, then I think he could be okay. But will he do it? I don't know. I'm really interested because they presented this information. 
and they handed it over to Bradford Raffensperger, keeping in mind that uh, Brian Kemp had this information before Bradford Raffensperger, and both of them did nothing about it, okay? But now, but now, Bradford Raffensperger has his hand forced, and in an update... Oh, there he is. I could have had that ugly mug on the screen the entire time, but I thought I would spare you guys. That's Bradford Raffensperger. Okay. In an update, um, they are moving forward with this case. So this is a good one, guys. A good update to this uh, case here. Let's check it out. Georgia ballot harvesting probe advances as state elections board approves the subpoenas. All right. Yes, ma'am. Let's do it. Now, it says here, action allows a secretary of state investigators to compel testimony and delivery of evidence. The Georgia Elections Board has approved a subpoena to secure evidence and testimony in an ongoing investigation into whether third party liberal activists illegally gathered thousands of absentee ballots in the 2020 general election and a subsequent runoff that determined Democrat control of the U.S. Senate. The vote was a major win for Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, who announced the investigation into alleged ballot harvesting in January and was seeking the subpoena authority to assist the probe. The subpoena power will allow Raffensperger's team to secure evidence about a whistleblower who alleged to an election integrity group that he participated in a large operation to gather ballots in which activists were paid $10 for each ballot they delivered. Georgia law expressly prohibits third parties from collecting, gathering, or delivering absentee ballots, except in the case of immediate relatives. A vote on the subpoena was delayed by weeks as the election board could not decide on a new chairman. But at a meeting last week, the board unanimously chose Matthew Mashburn to be acting chairman. The board then voted out the subpoena in a closed session, according to audio of the meeting reviewed by Just the News. All the board members are here, Mashburn said, after emerging from the closed-door session. A quorum is in order. We went into executive session for purposes of discussing pending and potential litigation and for the board to authorize subpoenas in case number 2020-10, Doherty County, and 2022-003, Ballot Harvesting. Officials said the new subpoena powers will be used by Raffensperger's office to secure evidence from the election group True the Vote, which filed a complaint in November saying it had acquired videotapes, a whistleblower's admission, and cell phone location records showing what appeared to be a widespread ballot harvesting operation in the November 2020 general election and January 2021 election runoff. The group's complaint said surveillance camera footage showed balloting traffickers, ballot traffickers delivering stacks of ballots to drop boxes between midnight and 5 a.m. And cell phone records showed as many as 240 activists made such deliveries. The group said a cooperating whistleblower to whom it granted John Doe anonymity admitted he was paid $10 for each ballot he collected and delivered and that scores of others were involved in the operation. So really, guys, John Doe did not kill himself, right? Now, knowing that he is going to be able to subpoena this evidence from True the Vote, because they didn't give him everything whenever they were sharing this stuff. For example, uh, obviously, their uh, whistleblower, they, they hid his name. 
Because the next thing you know, you're going to have the GBI showing up at his door and blowing his brains out, right? Um, he better not. He, he, I mean, I'm sure True the Vote is smart enough to have multiple copies of all of their data and information. Um, but man, this is where we're really going to see the, the stripes on Bradford's back, right? A true test of color and character. Let's see here. So the article continues. Uh, John Doe described a network of non-governmental organizations. See, who are these organizations? That, I think, is where we're really going to get some gravy, ladies and gentlemen, that worked together to facilitate a ballot trafficking scheme in Georgia. True the Vote wrote in its complaint, John Doe complained to have been one of many individuals, or sorry, John Doe claimed to have been one of many individuals paid to collect and deliver absentee ballots during the early voting periods of November 2020 general election and the January 2021 runoff election. Raffensperger, who in 2019 led an effort to update state law to explicitly outlaw harvesting, told Justin News earlier this month that his investigators want to secure the identity and cooperation of the whistleblower and to follow the money to who funded the operation. Well, I wonder if it's one of Stacey Abrams' non-governmental organizations. Wouldn't that be a hoot, right? Uh, it says, we need to get a subpoena for the fella who this John Doe is, Raffensberger explained. Was he paid? How much was he paid? And then who paid him? And we're going to follow the money and we're going to get to the bottom of it. And we're going to prosecute this if we find that there's substance to it. Because everyone knows if it's caught on camera, it's just an urban legend in Georgia, apparently. State law uh, currently allows only the ballot traffickers to be prosecuted and does not invalidate the ballots of voters who are lawfully registered to vote but give their ballot to a third party. Some state officials told Just the News they have been privately discussing asking the Georgia legislature to create penalties for voters who surrender their ballots to a third party. The Georgia investigation comes as other states have begun turning up evidence of ballot harvesting during the 2020 election. Arizona has prosecuted several activists for illegally conducting third-party ballots, uh, collecting third-party ballots, while the former state Supreme Court justice named to oversee an election integrity probe in Wisconsin recently offered evidence that third parties may have cast ballots on behalf of physically or mentally incapacitated nursing home residents. Georgia has had at least one famous case of ballot harvesting in which a local judge and a lawyer were charged more than a decade ago in Chattooga County with using a postal machine to put postmarks on third-party absentee ballots and deliver them in a razor-thin election in 2006 where the judge was leading. The late state court judge Carlton Vines was charged with unlawful possession of ballots, conspiracy to commit election fraud, and making false statements in connection with filing notice of candidacy. His first trial ended in a deadlocked jury in 2009, and a second trial was averted when Vines agreed to resign his judgeship. Okay, so enough about that. How interesting, huh, guys? So we'll have to keep our eyes on Bradford. We will have to keep our eyes on Bradford. He says he wants to prosecute only if there's substance. Never mind all the video footage, right? That's a lot of hard work, that is, guys. That's a lot of hard work. All right, guys, here's a face that you probably don't mind seeing. This is one 
Durham, right? Otherwise known as the Punisher, Mr. John Durham, special counsel John Durham, pardon me. Uh, and we have an update for his investigation as well. Um, of course, you know, uh, I'd say President Trump really stole his thunder today, but hey, it is definitely worth reporting on. Uh, now, this has to do with um, the case uh, involving Igor Danchenko. Okay, so uh, where we last left off with the Durham investigation, uh, we had the Michael Sussman legal team asking the judges to dismiss the case uh, and with a retort from John Durham saying, don't do it, judge. Okay, so that happened. Now, uh, it appears that um, uh, John Durham is to uh, set to release uh, investigative information uh, documents, etc., regarding the case with Igor Danchenko. Now, if you guys remember the case with Igor Danchenko, of course, he was uh, Christopher Steele's uh, point man, right? No. Uh, well, okay, so uh, Igor Danchenko, a Russian researcher based in the United States, charged in November with five counts of making false statements to the FBI in 2017, okay, about the information that he gave to Christopher Steele for his discredited PP dossier, that guy, Danchenko, okay. He's pleaded not guilty, of course, they all do. And uh, he is having, it appears, a law firm that is also representing members of Hillary Clinton's 2016 campaign. Uh, they're having him, they're having that law firm also represent him. I guess he thinks that's a good idea. But it seems here that Durham is to produce a large volume of classified discovery in the Steele dossier source case. So that's moving forward. Let's see what the article says about that. I think this is just the news also, or is it Breitbart? It's the Washington Examiner. Okay, Washington Examiner, I hear you. It says, uh, the Justice Department plans to produce a large volume of classified materials this week in the Russiagate case against the main source of British ex-spy Christopher Steele's anti-Trump dossier. Uh, Special counsel John Durham made the assertion in a filing Tuesday asking a judge for a deadline extension for the production of classified discovery in accordance with the Classified Information Procedures Act, a law that establishes procedures for protecting classified information in criminal cases. Durham pinned the need for a delay on agency personnel being involved in matters related to Russia's war in Ukraine. Uh, and we can actually look at his uh, filing here. We have it on the screen. In the case of uh, United States versus Igor Danchenko, um, John Durham writes as a consent motion to adjourn the classified discovery and SIPA schedule. Uh, the United States of America, by and through its attorney special counsel, John H. Durham, with the consent of defense counsel, respectfully moves this honorable court pursuant to the Classified Information Procedures Act to adjourn the deadline for production of classified discovery, which is currently set for March 29, 2022. The government also respectfully requests that the court reset the SIPA filing schedule in accordance with the proposed schedule set forth below. The government has consulted counsel with counsel for the defendant, and they do not object to the adjournment and extension of filing deadlines. The proposed dates would not result in an adjournment of the October 11th, 2022 trial date. So it appears that uh, Danchenko's trial will be taking place in October. 
Uh, to date, the government has produced over 60,000 documents in unclassified discovery. A portion of these documents were originally marked classified, and the government has worked with the appropriate declassification authorities to produce the documents in an unclassified format. However, recent world events in Ukraine have contributed to delays in the production of classified discovery. The officials preparing and reviewing the documents at the FBI and intelligence agencies are heavily engaged in matters related to Ukraine. Nevertheless, the government will produce a large volume of classified discovery this week and will continue its efforts to produce documents in classified discovery on a rolling basis and no later than the proposed deadlines set forth below. For the uh, court's consideration, the government, in consultation with Defense Counsel, proposes the following pretrial deadlines. And they're laid out there May through July. Uh, several different instances where I guess John Durham will keep them abreast and release that information. So that one is still moving along, ladies and gentlemen. Did you guys know that Maria Zach actually gave John Durham copies of her evidence about Italygate? Like people have known about Italygate since it happened. High up people, you know. President Trump got the evidence Christmas Eve. Um, Rudy Giuliani shortly after that. Uh, high up, uh, high, higher or leaders in, from other countries are aware of this. Yeah, they've known about this for quite some time. Uh, and John Durham, according to Maria Zach, was also in receipt of uh, her Italy Gate information. So. Very interesting stuff, guys. I mean, I maybe, maybe this Italy gate, that's going to come up from the south just like Nibiru and spin us all crazy on our axes. Whoa, where'd this come from? They're doing something. Wow. They're actually doing something. Oh, wait, let's finish this article here. Okay, so. Oh, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we read his thing, you know. Uh, let's see if we can square this off for you guys. He's just asking to push the deadline back. According to the Washington Examiner, we could figure that out by reading his, uh, his motion ourselves. He made a similar request earlier this month for a SIPA delay, also citing the Ukraine war in a separate case against Michael Sussman. Okay, so he did the same thing with uh, Michael Sussman. Okay, well, at least we're caught up. At least we're caught up with, uh, with that right there, guys. Now we know what's going on with Durham. All right, let's move it along, guys. Whoops, wrong computer screen. Aha! Okay, here's, uh, this, one's, this one's pretty cool, too. Okay, so this is all coming out to roost. Man, and the thing about it is, guys, I mean, I, I mean a lot of things are coming out about, um, you know, uh, what was on that laptop. Granted... The focus du jour is on all of the uh, the sexual ex escapades and exploits, the uh, pederasty, the uh, family abuse, the child abuse, all that stuff. But what people are starting to realize is not only was that information on his laptop, also his information about his business and communications with people he spoke to from other countries, all of that's in there too. 
All of that is in there too, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, that's why uh, True Rivers had made that comment about the biolabs. Who would have known that he was involved with Metobiota, right? And they were directly contracted from Pentagon to work over there in uh, Ukraine in the biolabs, which ties Hunter Biden and the Bidens directly to Nazis, ladies and gentlemen. Nazis. But the GOP is um, they're preparing for when they take the House and the Senate back, okay? We had a, uh, we had a representative uh, who, when the GOP <coughs> takes it back, is going to be sitting on the committee of like, I don't know, committee of investigations. <laughs> I'll give you guys the name of the committee in a minute. Uh, but he's sending out notices of preservation to a whole bunch of people in regards to what's going on with this Hunter Biden laptop. So they're not going to get away with it. It seems, it seems like, uh, you know, we have some reps who are getting ready to, uh, serve some justice as soon as they're able to control the house and Senate again. Hey, 007, what's up? Thank you for stopping in. Appreciate that. You are truly amazing. Well, you are too, 007. Thank you much. And he also says, Michigan GOP Rhino presented two House bills for the AOC New Green Deal. No bueno. Michigan is, woo. Michigan is a pretty crooked state. I think Michigan's probably one of the more crooked states, right? Michigan Rhino Speaker of the House, Jason Wentworth. 5173738962 call him especially if you're in Michigan go out and do it hey bill tech what's up go out and do that but uh let's let's check out this story here guys okay gop set stage to probe spiking of hunter biden laptop story warnings to preserve evidence sent mhm don't you dare throw away that memo this is going to be interesting, guys. Uh, let's, see who, let's see who's on the list. Let's see who, who they're going to have under the light here. Uh, led by Representative Daryl Issa, lawmakers send preservation letters setting stage for major probe if GOP retakes majority in November, demand big tech, New York Times, Intel experts. A top Republican on Tuesday revealed that GOP lawmakers are sending letters to Twitter, Facebook, the New York Times, and dozens of others, or dozens of former intelligence, U.S. intelligence officials, asking that they preserve evidence of their efforts in 2020 to suppress or discredit credible news reports about Hunter Biden's laptop and business dealings. Okay, let me see here. I'm just going to jump down real quick. La, 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 la. I got, okay, I think it lists them here. Because I, I got the names of the people who they're, uh, who they're going to be inquiring, seeking information on. Uh, it says, Representative Daryl Issa told John Solomon Reports podcast that the preservation letters will set the stage for Republicans to issue subpoenas and open a formal investigation into the matter if they win control of Congress in this year's midterm elections. Issa, who is expected to be chair of the House and Reform Committee, in the event the GOP retakes the majority in November, will likely be spearheading any probe into possible collusion to quash the Hunter Biden story. What I can't live with, said Issa, is the fact that when the New York Post, 
one of the oldest print newspapers in the country, founded in 1801, comes out with credible evidence, which they can show how they got it, what their sources were. There were no hidden sources on this. They not only got shut down by Facebook and Twitter, but they got shut down by the New York Times, by public broadcasting, by virtually everyone. And they were shut down by having more than 50 of the most informed people in the intelligence world, all saying that they knew this was false information. That is a conspiracy of monumental size. Issa explained that some of those involved in this collusion were passive participants while others coordinated the effort and knew what they were doing. That is where we're asking to have the evidence preserved, he said. And when we receive the ability to subpoena again on the anticipation that the House will return to the GOP majority, this is an investigation that has to be done because shutting down the First Amendment is now a pattern of new media, but it's also becoming a pattern of old media. And there aren't very many older versions than the New York Times. Who have since done what? They've since admitted that the laptop was real. Probably to avoid litigation. Looks like that's going to be too late. A little too late, New York Times. In October 2020, the New York Post obtained emails from a laptop that Hunter Biden had abandoned at a repair shop in Delaware. One message showed that he introduced his father, then Vice President Joe Biden, to a top executive at Ukrainian energy firm Burisma less than a year before the vice president pressured Ukrainian officials to drop an investigation into the firm, long shadowed by corruption allegations. The emails also revealed the executive asking Hunter, who received over $80,000 per month as a Burisma board member, for advice on how you could use your influence on the company's behalf. Neither the elder nor the younger Biden denied the story, but instead deflected questions. Politico reported at the time that Biden's 2020 presidential campaign would not rule out the possibility that former VP, that the former VP had some kind of informal interaction with the executive, which would not appear on Biden's official schedule. Nonetheless, shortly after the story was published, Andy Stone, Facebook policy communications director, boasted the social media giant was reducing its distribution on our platform. He added the report would be scrutinized by third-party fact-checkers to reduce the spread of misinformation. Stone previously worked for former Democrat Senator Barbara Boxer and the Democrat Congressional Campaign Committee. Twitter quickly followed Facebook's lead, blocking users from posting or reading the story. The company even locked the post's primary Twitter account, apparently because of the lack of authoritative reporting on the origins of the materials included in the article. Prominent mainstream media outlets, including The Times, either ignored the Hunter Biden story or cast doubt on its authenticity. Five days after the post story was published, 51 former intelligence officers, including former CIA director John Brennan and former director of national intelligence James Clapper, signed a public letter dismissing the report as Russian disinformation. The laptop has all the classic earmarks of a Russian information operation, they wrote. Russia, 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 Trump, Trump, Trump. It's one of those two are the bad guys, right? The intelligence professionals did not provide evidence to support their claims, saying only the emails on the laptop were suspicious. 
The laptop is now in FBI custody and has been reviewed by Just the News and deemed authentic. Ooh, so they got their hands on a copy of it also, huh? Only a small handful of media outlets, including Just the News, have consistently reported on the laptop's content since 2020. Much of the media has slowly acknowledged the laptop is genuine and not Russian disinformation. Last year, a political reporter said its materials were real. And last week, the New York Times said it authenticated emails from the laptop. Who made the decision to shut the story down? Asked Issa. Who did that person talk to? What was in their texts and the like? Because there obviously was, and I hate to use this word since it was false when it was first used, but collusion at the highest levels between big tech, the media, and former government officials. Critics allege the initial New York Post story was suppressed because it appeared on the eve of the presidential election and would have made Joe Biden look bad. They're going to pull another Hillary on them. When asked on Tuesday who will be sent evidence preservation letters, Issa specifically mentioned Twitter, Facebook, and the New York Times and all 51 names of the intelligence letter, indicating there might be more. Let's see here. We got on this list uh, a former DNI boss, James Clapper, former CIA boss, Michael Hayden, former Secretary of Defense, Leon Panetta, former CIA head, John Brennan, former top CIA aide, Nick Shapiro, White House Press Secretary, Jen Psaki, White House Chief of Staff, Ron Klain, White House Communications Director, Kate Bedingfield, Meta CEO, Mark Zuckerberg, Meta Communications Director, Andy Stone, former Twitter CEO, Jack Dorsey, and current Twitter CEO, Parag Agrawal, uh, they, those were some of the 51 people, I guess, that were sent this uh, letter of preservation. So there's some of the names, guys. Those are some uh, pretty heavy names there, right? Especially the first, uh, first handful that I listed off. Excuse me. And that's all I got for now, guys. But uh, let's, let's finish this up real quick. Uh, it says here... Issa framed this issue as one of free speech, arguing the Hunter Biden laptop story is an example of the First Amendment being under assault. Issa noted the ultimate purpose of a potential investigation would be to pass legislation to protect free speech and hold big tech accountable for undermining the First Amendment. The Sea Report and all the shows on this podcast channel are 100% listener supported. We don't have corporate sponsors. We don't have independent sponsors. Our sponsors are you, the listener. So if you like the work we do and like what we have to say and contribute to the world of news and information and entertainment, please show us your support. Make a monthly donation to help sustain future episodes at anchor.fm slash the sea report. Your support is greatly appreciated. From 99 cents per month to 4.99 per month to 9.99 per month. Every donation counts and every bit helps. Show your support for the sea report and other shows on this podcast channel by visiting anchor.fm slash the sea report and thanks y'all
Oh, we got some breaking news from Tanef Booth, live from live on the scene at. Uh... <laughs> okay, uh, thank you. Tanef Booth says um, there is a video trying to get lethal weapons into the United States. All right, I will copy that link. You know, Tanette, I don't break news. I just share news. So I'll review that video. Thank you for passing that my way, sweetie. And glad to see you in the audience tonight. Um, it's just, it's not on the menu for tonight. It says, uh, Republican urgent press briefing on holding China accountable. Hmm. Very interesting. Cool. We'll definitely check it out. Thank you for sending that my way, Mr. Debt Booth. That, and that was breaking news with Tanette Booth, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> All right, guys, we're up for our last story for the night. Okay, last story for the night. Thank you all for hanging out with us tonight. I hope you guys have had a wonderful Thursday evening. We're about to hit Friday morning here at uh, Central Time of the Planet. Uh, you know, we don't normally do our shows this late, but had a busy, 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 busy day catching up on some stuff. And uh, so, yeah, just definitely happy to uh, to uh, be live with you guys and to file our report for today. Pretty good report, guys. It was a pretty good news day. Of course, I mean, that just makes the work a little bit more, uh, you know, busier. But it's all good. And information is good. Now, here's a story of a man named Larry who was pimping out his daughter's best friends. Okay, now... I know it's a little bit worse than that, guys. Now, this is a major human trafficking slash child. Well, I don't think I think they were all of age. OK, so I don't think the children are involved here. But this is this is a major human trafficking story that is going on right now. It's in trial. Now, this story was way under my radar, or out of the radar. It wasn't even on the radar. And I, you know, a headline popped up and I was like, what is this all about? So uh, definitely wanted to share this information with you guys. I don't know if you guys have heard about the Lawrence College human trafficking scandal, uh, basically is what that boils down to. If you're reading the hairline, the hair, if you're reading the hairline, which is non-existent on, the <laughs> which is non-existent on this forehead. Uh, the Sarah Lawrence sex cult trial. So this is even interesting, okay? Uh, why, you know, I have not, you know, and I miss things. Don't get me wrong, okay? I mean, uh, there are several things. Somehow I miss them sometimes. I was like, some stories I'm just like, how did I miss that, you know? But um, for example, we have this one. Uh, this trial began on uh, March 8th, okay? March 8th. And it's being called the Sarah Lawrence Sex Cult Trial. Now, I don't know if they call it the Sex Cult, Sarah Lawrence Sex Cult, because it sounds like, ooh, sexy. And, you know, it's definitely a bait. I was like, bait. I was like, sex cult trial. I was like, thinking Nexium, you know, thinking next type of thing, right? But it, I mean, that's reading about it, that's not really what it was. I don't think it was a sex cult. This man was extorting and exploiting college girls, pimping them out to, as it turns out, people up and down Wall Street, uh, heads of finance, uh, 
retired Supreme Court justices, etc., etc., etc. So this is a huge story, guys, because this is like not on the scale of the Ghislaine Maxwell and uh, Jeffrey Epstein cases. Obviously, he was not intercontinental, um, but he too has some of the same names in his clientele list as were in Jeffrey Epstein's Black Book. Now, we'll talk a little bit about that in a minute, but, but, we need to introduce this story to you guys because I ain't heard nobody talking about this, and I think this is, I mean, aside from it being disturbing, you know, um, it's just, it is very crazy that we have, and this is, it's kind of like it's hush-hush, right? Like, they don't want everyone to know about it. And you know about it if you know about it. I mean, obviously, he's no Ghislaine Maxwell. I mean, look at him, right? But um, crazy story, guys. Crazy story of sex trafficking and extortion. And uh, we'll see if this man... Uh, well, I, I think... I'm, I'm pretty sure, just on the outside of it, um, he'll see justice. The Larry Ray Trial... Okay, Larry Ray. This guy, I think, if I remember correctly from what I read, is an ex-government informant. Okay, he um, he used to he he's the one who blew the whistle on um, Bernie Carrick. You guys remember Bernie Carrick? He was like a uh, um, he was a, a, an esteemed uh, New York City police chief, I think, if I'm not mistaken, um, who. President Trump actually pardoned. He, he was pardoned by President Trump, Bernie Carrick. So Larry Ray is the one who blew the whistle on him. And then Larry Ray is out there uh, extorting, raping, and uh, trafficking girls uh, and prostituting them out. Very interesting, huh? Very interesting. It's a crazy story, guys. So let's check this out so we can round out our night on this one. Larry Ray accused of being a con man and a cult leader who came to dominate the lives of a group of students at Sarah Lawrence College, will stand trial in federal court in Lower Manhattan this month. He's facing a slew of charges, including sex trafficking, extortion, and forced labor. If convicted, he could spend the rest of his life in prison. It says, uh, Ray's Byzantine life story, which includes his attempts at mind control and has cameos by such characters as New York City Police Chief Bernie Carrick and Mikhail Gorbachev, was first told publicly in an April 2019 cover story in the New York Magazine. The stolen kids of Sarah Lawrence sparked an FBI investigation. Early in 2020, Ray was arrested in New Jersey. Now the government says that Ray, who is 62, abused the college students verbally, physically, and psychologically, and that he stole some $1.7 million from a young woman he forced into sex work. The Ray case is the latest in a string of high-profile federal sex crime prosecutions in New York. In 2019, Keith Rainier, who ran the cult Nexium, was convicted of sex trafficking, sexual exploitation of a child, and other crimes. He was sentenced to 120 years in prison. R. Kelly was convicted on nine counts, including sex trafficking and racketeering, last year. He will be sentenced in May. And in the final days of 2021, Ghislaine Maxwell was convicted on charges that she helped recruit underage victims for the serial predator... Jeffrey Epstein. 
She'll be sentenced later this year, though the possibility of a mistrial looms. All four cases involve charismatic manipulators exercising power over much younger people. All generate substantial media attention. Each is also a grueling affair for victims and their families. The Larry Ray case has only gotten more complicated in the nearly three years since New York broke the story. And uh, here is essential information. So who is Larry Ray? Born Lawrence Greco in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, Larry Ray has long been described by people who know him as chameleonic. In the 1980s, he traded stocks on Wall Street despite not having a college degree. He consulted in the insurance, gambling, and construction industries. He operated a nightclub in Scotch Plains, New Jersey, and tried to buy the legendary Manhattan hotspot The Tunnel and Limelight. He held fundraisers for politicians, including Patrick Kennedy. What really made Ray exceptional, though, is the way he expertly mixed real relationships, including connections to top officers in the United States Marine Corps with lies and embellishments. He claimed to have operated for years as a clandestine agent overseas. He said he'd worked for the CIA in Russia and that he'd, discovered he'd recovered Stinger missiles on behalf of the government. Plenty of people believed Ray's tales. He got married in 1988. In 1995, he met an NYPD detective named Bernie Carrick, and they became close friends, with Ray serving as the best man at Carrick's wedding. In 2000, Ray was indicted as a co-conspirator in a mafia-related pump-and-dump scheme. That don't sound good. Anyways, around that time, Carrick became police commissioner. But when Ray reached out to Carrick for help in fighting the charges, Carrick snubbed him. That perceived slight seemed to change Ray, who embarked on a long campaign to destroy Carrick's reputation. After pleading guilty to securities fraud in 2003, Ray's life unraveled. He and his wife divorced and fought over custody of their two children. He was incarcerated, paroled, and incarcerated again. So how did Larry Ray come to Sarah Lawrence? In 2010, days after he was let out of New Jersey's Northern State Prison, he began sleeping on his daughter's dorm room couch. Ray spent long nights holding court in a common room at his daughter's building. Some of the students in the house were alienated. Others were spellbound by his stories and flattered by his attention. That summer, Ray convinced five of them to move in with him in a one-bedroom apartment on the Upper East Side belonging to an old friend from prison. He began isolating the students from family and friends and often kept the group up long into the night discussing philosophy and conspiracy theories. The session could turn violent. One student said that Ray wrapped his genitals in a homemade garret. What the heck? At some point, the group lost touch uh, with reality. Ray ac accused the students of poisoning him and damaging his belongings and convinced them they owed him substantial sums of money. He also convinced a trio of siblings, one of whom was a student at Sarah Lawrence, to solicit hundreds of thousands of dollars from their parents and goaded Claudia, one of his daughter's closest friends, into becoming an escort to pay back her supposed debts. Shortly after New York published its article on the saga, a joint FBI and NYPD sex crimes task force began investigating Ray. At the time, he was living in suburban New Jersey with two members of the Sarah Lawrence group, including Isabella Pollock, his daughter's former roommate. 
That's where the FBI arrested him on the early morning of February 11th, 2020. Craziness, guys. Let's see what charges he faces. 17 counts, including racketeering, extortion, sex trafficking, forced labor, use of interstate commerce to promote unlawful activity, money laundering, and a whole bunch of tax evasion. Prosecutors have detailed several incidents of violence, including one where Ray choked an alleged victim with a plastic bag. Ray has pleaded not guilty to all of the charges. And Ray has been in jail in New York City since his arrest in February 2020, and he's been denied bail five times. In August 2020, citing recorded phone calls from jail, prosecutors accused Ray of attempting to get his father to threaten and coerce two of his alleged victims. And the evidence the government will introduce, prosecutors have about 15 terabytes of data recovered from seized hard drives, phones, and laptops. The government says it has more than 150,000 audio files of conversations involving Ray and his alleged victims, as well as numerous videos, some of which are sexually explicit. Prosecutors have told the court that they plan on presenting written summaries of the footage to the jury in order to preserve the alleged victim's privacy. And to testify, at the center of the government's case is Claudia, who's being identified in court as Jane Doe II. Prosecutors say Ray pocketed $1.7 million generated by sex work that she conducted, although they have not detailed how the arrangement could have brought in such an astonishing amount. Originally from Los Angeles as a sophomore at Sarah Lawrence, Claudia began meeting Ray for one-on-one -on -one counseling sessions, although he is not a psychiatrist. She told people that he diagnosed her with schizophrenia and she cut contact off with her parents and others. They've since reunited. Another key witness will likely be Daniel Barbin Levin, who, fellow, who fell under Ray's influence in his sophomore year at Sarah Lawrence and who says Ray abused him physically and mentally. He lived with the group in the Upper East Side apartment on and off for around three years. In September, Crown published his memoir, billing the book as a stunning firsthand account of the creation of a modern cult and the costs paid by its young victims. And what about this Isabella Pollock? In March 2021, the government abruptly shifted in its stance toward Isabella Pollock, a student at Sarah Lawrence when Ray arrived on campus. After first characterizing her as one of Ray's victims, prosecutors accused her of acting as his lieutenant and lead agent. They charged her with 11 crimes, including extortion, sex trafficking, and money laundering. Pollock met Ray when she was a sophomore attending Sarah Lawrence on a full academic scholarship. Uh, she says, I'm 19. I was having a lot of difficulty making sense of things. I wasn't in a good place. He started to help me kind of process and make sense of a lot of things I just couldn't make sense of. Soon, though, Ray began instructing Pollock to have sex with other men. Even after the New York story, Pollock remained loyal to Ray. She wrote an email to one of his alleged victims calling her vile and accusing her of attempting to poison five people. A year ago, Pollock's attorney requested a psychological evaluation to see if she was fit for trial. She was, the evaluation said, but the attorney withdrew from the case. Pollock now has a public defender and a separate trial date in July. In the meantime, she's free on $100,000 bail and has been working at an Amazon warehouse in Staten Island. Go ahead and dox the girl, okay? And the prosecutors, the lead assistant U.S. attorney is Danielle Sassoon, 36. 
Um, she's prosecuting after graduating from Harvard. She earned her law degree at Yale Law School and landed a Supreme Court clerkship with Antonin Scalia. She worked for Kirkland and Ellis and taught at New York University's law school before becoming a prosecutor. This seems to be the highest profile case Sassoon has overseen. Uh, it says here, another prosecutor, Molly Bracewell, was dining outdoors last year at Muse, a Thai restaurant in Brooklyn, when she was struck in the face by a stray bullet. She recovered and has appeared in court. I think I remember that story. Like, they shot at some guy and a bullet hit her in the face. Uh, Ray's attorneys are Marnie Lennox, Peggy Cross Goldenberg, and Allegra Glasshauser. They are lawyers from the Federal District of New York, an independent nonprofit that defends people who cannot afford their own counsel. Ray's team filed a motion to withdraw from the case, citing irreconcilable differences with their client, but the judge said the disagreement was insubstantial. Wow, so they don't even want to represent him. That's pretty crazy. Uh, let's see, Ray's defense. His attorneys have signaled they intend to dig into his alleged victim's past to discredit the narrative that Ray forced them to do anything. Much of the pretrial court activities has involved access to the individual's medical records. Prosecutors have argued that producing the documents would violate the alleged victim's privacy. The judge, Louis J. Lyman, has largely ruled in favor of Ray. Ray has been diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder and histrionic personality disorder. According to a 2014 report entered by the defense, Ray has characteristics that are strongly suggested of pseudologia fantastica or Manchhausen's disorder. That would help to explain how he created a compelling, if far-fetched, version of reality that he delivered to his captive audiences. Much of the pretrial litigation grappled with how his psychological issues may have influenced his actions. For example, Ray has claimed for years that he is the victim of a sprawling conspiracy and that his daughter's friends poisoned him at Bernie Carrick's direction. Ahead of the trial, defense attorneys sought to secure the testimony of an expert witness, Dr. Joseph Pierre, they hoped he would argue to the jury that Ray genuinely believed some of the things he said. Pierre had interviewed Ray for hours, determining that he has delusion-like beliefs and belief in primarily a conspiracy theory. He told the judge that while he did not himself believe Ray's claims, they were at least partially supported by medical evidence of Mr. Ray's elevated mercury levels. Judge Lyman ended up blocking Pierre from testifying at the trial, writing that the doctor lacked training in toxicology and admitted that he did not complete that the account Ray was given uh, was giving Pierre was a self-serving narrative to minimize his criminal culpability. One of the most detailed looks into Ray's character comes from a 2005 psychological examination that was commissioned by his ex-wife's lawyers as part of the custody battle. He is able to manipulate and control almost any situation in which he finds himself, including a psychological interview with a forensic examiner, no matter how experienced that examiner may be. Mr. Ray is very good at what he does, the examiner wrote. Ray, he continued, can be utterly charming and one can be disarmed by his childlike simplicity and smile, but Mr. Ray is no child. He is a calculating, manipulative, and hostile man. There he is, guys. Larry Ray. Okay, now... Like I said, this thing went to trial on March 8th, okay? Since then, 
We've had witnesses come take the stand. We've had graphic descriptions of what he did to them and how he treated them and how he handled their business. We've had him have to leave the courtroom on two separate occasions because he suffered a seizure or he collapsed, right? Um, And then the most recent bit about this trial is the discovery of his clientele list. Um, Let's take a look at this one. The trial of Sarah, Sarah Lawrence sex cult leader Larry Ray resumed Thursday with a federal judge finding significant evidence to name Ray's daughter, Talia, as a co-conspirator. So now he's got this one student, this Pollock chick, and now his daughter has been found as a co-conspirator. So the plot thickens for this guy. A federal judge has found sufficient evidence to name Sarah Lawrence cult leader Larry Ray's daughter Talia as a co-conspirator along with his so-called lieutenant and co-accused Isabella Pollock. Uh, Daily.mail.com can reveal... Uh, Pollock is due to stand trial on multiple counts later this year. Talia, 29, remains unindicted, and it will be for the government to decide whether to bring charges. Judge Lewis Lyman made his finding Thursday morning ahead of continued testimony from alleged cult member Claudia Drury, 31. Drury's testimony, which began last Friday, has been repeatedly interrupted due to both juror issues and an apparent seizure on the part of the defendant, which saw court suspended Tuesday afternoon and Wednesday. Dressed in a pale blue shirt and navy pants, Ray's presented a robust figure in court and showed no signs of the illness that saw him stretchered out of court Tuesday and led to uh, proceedings being suspended Wednesday. Drury concluded her direct testimony detailing the life of prostitution in which she claims Ray forced her. Okay, we got some photos there. I'm guessing that's Drury. She said on a very bad week, she made $10,000 and on a good week, $50,000 in proceeds that she handed over to Ray and Pollock. Drury recalled an incident when Ray cuffed her to a hotel chair, suffocated her with a plastic bag, smothered her with a pillow, and threatened to waterboard her when she had become too close to the client, whom she later credited with helping get out of the life. She also told jurors that Ray had asked her to make a list of her clients, which she planned to use as a threat and leverage and threatened to publish online. Ironically, the Department of Justice did just that earlier this week when they put the list, a sealed exhibit, on a public portal before quickly taking it down. Rising to cross-examine Drury, defense attorney Marnie Lennox attempted to make damaging inroads into her credibility. She used Drury's own words against her and started with her admission that she told stories and tall tales to win favor and impress friends. That same flaw was, she implied, something that had escalated with her relationship with Ray and her struggle to transition from high school to college. Lennox highlighted the fact that Drury had been untruthful with prosecutors when they first spoke with her in 2020 and that she had lied in housing court in a bid to help Ray avoid eviction. And of course, in New York, we've got no cameras. So here we go with the uh, sketches and the pastels and the charcoals again. Okay, there's the man. Uh, Drury insisted that she believed what she was saying at the time and her memory, so clear on direct, failed her more than once as she claimed not to recall emails and texts shown to her in court. An audio recording played in court revealed her making up a story in vivid detail about three men jumping from a white van and threatening her. 
Lennox accused Drury of making Larry's villains her own in a bid to cure, uh, cure, curry favor and gain attention. Testimony in the sex trafficking case resumed two days after the trial was abruptly halted due to Ray suffering a medical emergency in court. An attorney for Ray called for a break in the middle of proceedings late Tuesday morning after his client shook and gasped behind his mask. Judge Lyman cleared the courtroom while court officers rushed in with a first aid kit and defibrillator and a medic followed on. Ray was then stretchered out of Manhattan Federal Court and onto an ambulance waiting outside. The former convict is on trial for allegedly sex trafficking his daughter's friends from a dorm room on the campus of the elite New York Liberal Arts College. Uh, Tuesday's emergency marked the end of a morning during which jurors heard often harrowing testimony from Drury as she chronicled in disturbing detail how Ray allegedly bullied and groomed her into a life of prostitution, convincing her she had to make amends for egregious wrongs and repay debts of more than $100,000. And so there's a photo of uh, this Larry Ray guy being stretchered out. Assistant U.S. Attorney Daniel Sassoon focused on the sexual grooming that prosecutors claim Ray used to funnel Drury into a life of prostitution from which he garnered more than $2.5 million. Drury told the court that Ray suggested she take part in a gangbang, telling her that sex with multiple partners was liberating and fun. She told how uh, he set her sexual challenges that she, already unraveling, took in a bid to win his favor and make repairs for wrongs of which he accused her. The accusations were primarily of damage to property, but escalated to an instance that she had poisoned him and his daughter, Talia. He told me to take a cab ride, and at the end of it, instead of paying, suggest I had sex with the driver instead, Drury told the court. He also told me to pick up someone on the street and have sex with them in Central Park. Asked if she did these things, Drury replied, yes. On Ray's suggestion, the former college student claimed that she had taken work as an escort in a sex club. There, she detailed her introduction to BDSM, bondage and sadomasochism. She described some of it as quite severe and said that she took the submissive role with the sex club clients and one of its managers. The court was shown graphic pictures of her bruised buttocks, images that she said she had sent to Ray at his request. She said that Ray, with whom she had fallen into a fractious relationship pattern of confrontation, allegation, punishment, confession, and reparation from her, was encouraging of her actions and the pictures. Crazy, guys. This is insane. She also said that by this time, she had built up so much self-hate, having solidly taken on the role of a saboteur um, in the cult that she found an outlet and relief in the pain of BDSM. On some level, she felt that she deserved the punishment for all the supposed wrongs of which Ray, she said, accused her across a sustained campaign of coercion. Ray played on her fears, often speaking graphically about jail and what would happen to her there. He talked about it for years and years. He described in detail the size of a prison cell, made me walk the size of a prison cell, she said. He told me graphic things about what people would do to me because I was smaller. He said that women would make me their B. And he described how they would use the restroom and defecate and use my face and tongue as toilet paper. Gross. He talked about it many times in many different ways. Drury said she worked as a prostitute from the beginning of 2015 until April 8, 2019. At her most profitable, she saw three or more clients a day charging $2,000 an hour, $2,400 for two hours with fees rising in increments from there. Uh, 
She said she handed most of her money to Ray and Isabella Pollock, his co-accused and so-called lieutenant. On two occasions, Ray would use the props that he told her to buy for clients, her voice dipping so that the judge had to remind her to speak up. Jury listed the props, handcuffs, crops, floggers, leash, collar, ball gag, dildos. Okay. I don't know if I want to read any more of that. Um, let's see here. Jury is one of at least five cult members who were students at the elite liberal college in Bronxville, just north of Manhattan, when they met the accused sex trafficker. Interesting. Um, so let's see here. Ray uh, lived with his daughter on campus in the dorm, persuaded his friends to move in with them uh, in his city apartment. Okay, we get the gist, guys, right? I think we get the gist here. Uh, so that's what's going on right now with this, uh, this sex trafficking case. Um, I only got one more for you guys on it and we will adjourn this meeting. Thank you guys again for hanging out tonight. If you've been hanging in there, uh, this has to do with the clientele list. Okay. This is what I was like, Hey, so we got another black book out there, right? Sarah Lawrence sex cult prostitution client list accidentally leaks. Includes hedge fund manager, judge, and other New York City elites. Okay. So these, these things are just popping up, guys. They are popping up. Um, okay, it says, An ongoing trial of the Sarah Lawrence sex cult leader has just shown a blinding spotlight on a host of New York City elites who reportedly were clients on Claudia Drury the student prostitute involved in the case. Drury has been testifying against the alleged cult leader, Larry Ray, during his ongoing trial. The information came to light after the Department of Justice accidentally published the list of 121 names, which was, which was captured and then poured through by the Daily Mail. A top executive at the Gap clothing firm and her husband was one of two married couples included. A former New York State Supreme Court judge is also named... The list also included a painter with studios in the East Village and Manhattan, as well as a famous architect and an investment executive who is also in pedophile Jeffrey Epstein's infamous little black book of contacts. The Daily Mail continued that the list included a hedge fund, hedge fund manager who has donated millions to charity and his name was on a museum building in New York, a Washington, D.C. lobbyist, who has worked for a foreign resistance movement and an international diamond dealer. An MTA executive and an executive at Amazon were also included. The list was said to be originally compiled by Drury and was in a sealed document that was accidentally posted online. The DOJ then reportedly scrambled to try and remove the information from the web. Shortly thereafter, a spokesman for the Department of Justice wrote, Per order of the court, Government Exhibit 3217 was admitted under seal. A spokesperson for the Department of Justice wrote in an email soon after the document was taken offline. This file was inadvertently loaded to the U.S. V-Ray file share. Please do not reproduce, share, or use this exhibit in any way. If you have downloaded this file, please delete it. That's crazy, guys. So... Yeah, he allegedly ran a sex cult for nearly 10 years, which he disguised as therapy sessions. That is insane, ladies and gentlemen. 
Hey, Sea Dragon, what's up? Hey, Subpack Vet. Kaori, how you doing? Poonslayer, what's up? Sea Dragon says, who is this clown connected to? Well, we will make every attempt to find that out. Um, I mean, I literally just saw this story a little while before going on the air. I was like, whoa, we going to talk about that one tonight, guys. So now that's on the map um, and we'll follow that. Uh, you know, the question needs to be asked, especially since that uh, note was accidentally leaked. Do you think the note was really accidentally leaked? Do you think that maybe the they were like, ah, there's going to be no justice for the victims of Ghislaine Maxwell. They, just, they hid all that away. Ah, Fooey, let's just publish this list of names. We'll say it was an accident. That's what I'm saying. Like, do you think, do you think it was done on accident or do you think someone knew what was up? Um, well, we'll see. I'll dig, I'll dig a little bit more into this. Uh, there's several things I'm digging into right now. Maria Zach being one of them and Italy Gate. And now we got this guy. Who knows where, where else he could be connected to? Who knows what else he could be connected to? I mean, as it expressed about his early life, charming the pants off uh, United States Marine Corps members and other people. Um, there's no telling with these psychotypes, right? These charming, charming men who end up being totally sadistic or, uh, I don't know, crazy, craziness, guys. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to do a wrap for the Sea Report for tonight. Thanks for hanging out with us late tonight. We'll do it again sometime, right? No, well, yeah, maybe not so late tomorrow. We'll probably be on closer to our average time tomorrow. Um, don't forget, guys, if you are uh, checking us out over at Rumble, Twitch, Clout Hub, follow, subscribe. If you're over at Pilled.net or the Foxhole app, follow and or favorite this show. Uh, check us out at thecreport.com. We're still waiting to get onto Truth Social, but as soon as we do, I will let you guys know. Otherwise, you can find our account there at least. I think we are at Mr. CTV or at the C Report. I don't remember which one it was, to be quite honest with you guys. Uh, other than that, it has been an absolute pleasure sharing this information with you guys on this eve. And uh, thank you again for all those who sent gold pills this way. Again, thecreport.com. Go check it out. We have our resources listed there. Check out our podcast version of the show also at anchor.fm slash the C report. So you can take these very, uh, very news broadcasts to go in your ears, ladies and gentlemen. All righty, guys, we will see you guys again. Manana. It's already the end of the week and it's already the end of the month. You guys have a great evening. And as always, be safe, be blessed. God bless America. We will see you next time.